Welcome to Awards Radar, the podcast, a weekly discussion of the awards races, Hollywood news, and the films you should have on your radar. Here's your host, Joey Magidson. I may not be an ethical podcaster, but I am a fair one. Uh, we'll talk about that stupid line in a minute. It's the Awards Radar podcast, and I am back. As always, I'm Joey. If I'm not, there's a bigger issue at hand, and I'm once again joined with Miles. Hey, everybody. Steve. Brrr, I'm Steve. And Ryan. Hey, guys. We've got a couple of things to talk about today, and we will be returning to the game that very much delights us and hopefully you guys like, but we're going to play anyway, so, you know, get with the program. Um, quickly, I want to start with a question before we talk about... We're going to get back to the Green Knight a little bit because Ryan's here and Miles has now seen it. We're going to talk um, a little bit about the Suicide Squad because Miles and I have seen it. And next week, we're going to talk about Free Guy because I'm seeing that like right after we finish recording this. So there's a stay tuned there. But first, we've got a question. Ryan McDermott has a Dev Patel and David Lowry Filmaholic face-off. Mm. All right. Which we can add a couple more devs because there's more devs. Um, but here, first up... Slumdog Millionaire or a lion? Miles, Ryan, Steve. Uh, I'll go with Slumdog Millionaire for sure. I don't know that it deserved all the Oscar glory that it got, but it's a totally entertaining movie. Danny Boyle knows how to make a good story. Lion, I found very forgettable. Yeah, I'm not the biggest Danny Boyle fan, but I thought Lion was like a real snooze fest. Um, And I agree with Miles. I don't think it deserved any of its Oscar wins. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, out of those two choices, Slumdog. Fair enough. Let me start by saying I agree about Slumdog. I'm not a big fan of its Oscar wins. It's a good movie. There's a lot to appreciate. But overall, uh, it's not yeah. the best picture, in my opinion. Now, if you're talking line, that's a different story. I walked out of the theater completely moved by that. I, I really enjoyed it. When you're talking specifically about Patel... But he does well. Even with that, I found the overall story to be gripping. So I'm going to go with Lion. Sorry, Slumdogs. Such a they're both such a weird year. Yeah, they're both solidly fine, like satisfying. Never need to think about them again. Movies. Um, I will say the Lion last moment is very good. Yeah, but Slumdog I think is overall the more interestingly made film. So I give it the sort of edge there. Though I will say it was interesting to watch Lion with. Um, Bill Clinton in attendance. That was a very interesting screening. Like, right after the election, too. Hmm. I was like, well, you're getting out of the house. Can't imagine why. All right. So, Slumdog won that one. Next up, The Personal History of David Copperfield or The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel in the Battle of Very Long Titles. Um, I haven't seen either of these films. Um, You're not missing out on much either. That's what I've heard. Um, I think I like the premise of Copperfield better, so I'll give it to that one. Plus, isn't Tilda Swinton in it? Yes. Okay, so I'll, I mean, I'll, I'll give it to that one based on the premise, but I'm also not here. I'll, quality. I'll offer you an alternate. The Last Airbender or Chappie? <laughs> oh, God. Um, That's like... That's oh, yeah, he was in Chappie. I forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, he's in Chappie. He wishes he forgot about it, too. Uh, yeah. I mean, Chappie is a thoroughly mediocre film, but also The Last Airbender is one of the worst things ever created by man, so I give it to Chappie by default. 
Fair enough. Um, I wasn't a big fan of David Copperfield. Um, just wasn't my type of Inanucci that I love so much. Um, like in the loop or, uh, death of Stalin. But I did like best exotic Marigold hotel. That's just like a fun film you see with your aunts or your mom. Um, and he's, he's barely in it. It's not focused on him at all, but he's, he's barely in it. Um, and I do want to answer miles alternative. I will take the last airbender over anything besides district nine in Neil Blomkamp's directorial efforts. He is an atrocious, atrocious director that has taken a, taken a good movie like district nine and has never come even quantumly close. So I'll take the last uh, looking forward to demonic. Are you hell? No, no one should chappy too. Oh my God. Isn't he making district 10? He's been quote unquote making district 10 for the better part of a decade. So it'll happen when it happens, which that movie, I know everybody always asks for a sequel. I, I don't know what you guys think. I've never actually needed a sequel to that movie. I just think it's, no. you know, I that's would what's watch so it if he made it. it, but I've never been like on the edge of my seat waiting for it either. Yeah. Like I'm not, yeah. I'm not, not, you know, I'm not like got my money ready for it. No. Yeah. Well, especially after his recent work, I'm like, leave it alone. Just walk away. Yeah. Like his last yeah. two films were just trash. Yeah. Yeah. Very forgettable. Mm. Was it, what was after Chappie? Um, well, before Chappie was Elysium. Yeah, Elysium's Elysium. fair. Elysium sucks. Elysium's terrible. God, I remember <clears throat> being so hyped for that and being so disappointed. I thought it was adequate. I didn't. I wouldn't they, say I like. Thank God they never gave him that alien movie because oh, I would have been curious. I think Sigourney would it, Weaver would have reined him in a little bit. Any worse than Prometheus and Alien Covenant? I think no. it probably would have because at least Ridley Scott. I, I like the ideas mm. of those movies. I don't think they, I, don't. I don't think they're executed really well, but I like their ideas. I don't I do, think he I has an idea close to that in his brain. I think Sigourney Weaver would have reined in Neil Baumgamp a lot. It's been like this is what we do. Yeah, it would have had her in it. This is what Alien been. Three should be, essentially. Well, Alien Three is good. And it, well, no, she is kind of forget. They're they're forgetting that one existed in that world when they were making that movie. Yeah, yeah. Their Alien Five was basically Alien Three. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, uh, like Steve, the answer the question. It, Fincher's fine. I don't even hate Resurrection. I get what Ryan's saying about Copperfield, but I like the side of Inanucci. Um, I enjoyed the film. I thought Patel was great. I loved a lot of the cast. I think it was underappreciated because of the directorial expectations. Um, I'm going to go Copperfield. All right. Uh, I guess Copperfield as well, though I, I'm, I agree with Ryan. That's not my Inanucci. I like... I like his smart ass stuff better than mm-hmm. his earnest stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, now we're going to move into David Lowry. The Old Man and the Gun or Peach Dragon? So, <laughs> these are actually, <laughs> the two you haven't seen. These these are actually the two Lowry films I haven't seen. Um, wow. I've seen his others, but not these two. Um, I was actually looking forward to Pete's dragon. I just never got around to it. Um, so maybe I'll give it to that. Um, retirement age. Robert Redford has never been something I've super been excited for. Fair. I mean, I can, I mean, 
I'm sure you haven't seen his first film, Saint Nick. No. <laughs> so I can't even sub out Ain't Them Body Saints and, and Saint Nick because you haven't seen it. Well, I've seen Ain't so. Them Body Saints, but I'm sure yeah. that's coming up. Uh, it is actually not because there isn't a, another. There's an odd number of films. Mm. So, I mean, fair enough. All right, Ryan. Um, I really like Peach Dragon. I think it's the best Disney live action film they've ever made. Um, but Old Man and the Gun is like one of my most rewatchable films of the last couple of years. I love that film. It's. It is like a. It is like Miles said. It is like the the sort of like Redford in a retirement film, but it's also a great homage to all the '70s films that Redford made. Um, him and Sissy Spacek are fantastic. You got like, um, is it is it Tom Waits right and and uh, Tom Danny, Waits, and Casey Danny Affleck, Casey Danny Glover, John David Washington's in it. Like it's a really stacked cast. Uh, Elizabeth Moss yeah. too. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and it's only like ninety something minutes, Miles. You'd really enjoy it. Okay, I'm not opposed to it at all. It yeah. just it, it never grabbed me conceptually enough to see it like when it was in theater. So it's on the list. Yeah, if you need something to cheer you up, I think it's like in a weird way a movie like that cheer you up. It's Interesting. Not as heavy of a movie in his filmography. No. Yeah. Well, sure. having Steve? having seen two of his heavier films back to back recently, I might not be opposed to that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I'm a fan of Redford's retirement age uh, work, so I'm going to go <laughs> with The Old Man of the Gun um, for all the reasons that Ryan said and, and more. I think it's uh, I think it's just a, a great film and, and worth the, the visit. Um, Peace Dragon is, is serviceable. It's it's fine, but not all that memorable. Not saying it's not a good film, and you know, I, I, it sounds like Ryan really likes it, but I just mm. yeah, it is what it is. It's at least doing something different than being a, the carbon copy Disney films that we get sometimes. Yeah, I agree. It's it's yeah, not yeah. it's not a bad film in any way. It's no, just yeah. but Old Man of the Gun by far yeah. stands out high and above it. It's clearly the movie he made so that he could get a ghost story in Old Man of the Gun finance. And that's <laughs> yes. and that's and that's totally fine. And, and for that reason I'm very film. happy. Yes. And he um and he actually apparently seemed to enjoy himself because he's making Peter Pan and Wendy next. And yeah. I've yeah, and I've talked to the production designer, and they are very excited. Like, Lowry even said in an interview, like, this is his favorite thing he's ever done, which is oh, crazy. As long as it's not Wendy, I'm happy. Yeah. Oh, God, Wendy. Didn't didn't like Wendy. What? Um, yeah. I'm going to go Old Man and the Gun as well. They're both fine. Um, yeah, they're both, they're both solid movies. I think they're in the second tier of him. I would think you Lowry. would really be into... Uh, old man of the gun joe that seems like a i liked movie. it it wasn't it didn't it didn't uh it didn't grab me but like i enjoyed it it just mm. i i found it forgettable it's really good I, on a it, rewatch to be honest i might yeah. i could see i could see going going in for a rewatch but no issues with it mm-hmm. uh and then finally the green knight or a ghost story oh and actually steve go first oh come on because i well, no, I'll go. I'll go first. Uh, I can go first because Miles and Ryan, I want to haven't said what they thought of Green Knight yet, so I wanted to lead in with that. So uh, here, I'll go first. I a ghost story was my number three movie of that year. So it's going to be a ghost story. That movie is his masterpiece to me. Green Knight's very good, but a ghost story is special. Yeah, well, a ghost story might be my number one of that year. Um, it's one or two. Uh, Green Knight. I think I need to see again to see it again before I can. Uh, 
put it on the pedestal I want to, but um, I love both. But a ghost story has proven to be a masterpiece, so I'm going to stick with that. Yeah, Green Knight's not in my top ten right now, so if that helps. Um, all right, uh, Miles, you want to go first? Ryan, why don't you go first? I have some potentially Either controversial way. thoughts, so I'll save them. Oh, no, Miles. That's for me to be like on the podcast, not you. Um, and you put me on the spot because I do really love a ghost story. I think it's a movie that's really aged well and on revisits. Like the first time I watched it, I was bored to tears. And then I just kept it kept lingering, like I think for all of us in our heads. And um, and I rewatched it and I reevaluated and I said to myself, yeah, this is actually really good. I don't know what's wrong with me. Um hmm. Uh, I don't know what's wrong with me, much like I don't know what's wrong with Rooney Mara. Eat a regular pie, for Christ's sake. Um, but I mean, yeah, she picked a weird pie. We know. God, God, oh, it just drives me nuts that she's not actually eating pie, or she's never had a piece of pie. Like, who doesn't have pie? That's just oh, drives me nuts. Anyway, um, the Green Knight, I love. It's my new number one of the year so far, and I really connected with the film from the beginning. It really does feel like all the elements of this man's career for the last 10 plus years coming together, really making something that he sort of <laughs> is questioning doesn't really like from what I've heard, he has a connection with it, but not much of a connection. Um, but it's, it's, it's a really interesting endeavor. It's one that I think also too, for him leaves you seeing the scope of how great a director he is. Like that ending, sure, is just fantastic, and Patel's fantastic, <laughs> and so, yeah, I, I I just think that for me, it's it, it. I don't know if it's my favorite film of his, but it's it it would edge out a ghost story at this moment. But it's tough because I I do agree with Steve. I need to see it again, um, and I'm gonna take the wife because she didn't get to see it with me. Um, but yeah, it's it's a really right. special film. All right, Miles. All right, so. Oh, oh, no. Oh, boy. So don't all gang up on me for this. I finally saw a ghost story for the first time earlier this week. I completely missed it when it first oh, came out. Oh, God. That's fine. I don't think I loved it. I didn't hate it. I didn't aggressively dislike it. I found myself very, very neutral on it. I found I found that I didn't get much out of it and maybe if i gave it a rewatch i would feel differently but it wasn't i mean it was a little boring at times but um i give you that was, that's how i was on the first watch oh no it's a it's a hard watch i i freely admit that well the first time at least but i can i can handle a slow meditative movie that's not inherently the problem but i found myself at the end of it just wondering what the point was and not really having gotten much out of it and not having enjoyed my time with it all that much. I think there's good stuff in it. I like the way it looks and I like the concept of it, but I found myself just not feeling much of anything as I watched it. Um, The Green Knight, I literally just got out of uh, before we started (laughs) recording the podcast. And in some ways, I wish I'd had a little bit more time to sit with it. Um, Because this is a film I was... It was probably in my top three most anticipated movies of this year. Um, I liked it. I To cut to the short answer, I liked it more than Ghost Story, so it gets my vote. 
I don't know that I loved it either. Um, I think visually there's some stunning stuff going on. There's some amazing shots, the costumes, the the way it makes it look, it, it makes itself look a lot more expensive than it actually was. Um, For sure. Which is definitely um, the skill of a uh, talented uh, director and crew. Uh, Dev Patel is incredible in it. Um, I think more credit needs to go to Alicia Vikander. She's the MVP for me. Her, I mean, God, David Lowry loves himself a monologue about how the world's going to end, doesn't he? <laughs> um, but uh, no, I think she's really compelling. I think it's a movie that I was engaged with in fits and bursts more than all the way through. I think there were stretches of it where I found myself kind of not tuning out per se, like I was always with it, but I only loved portions of it. And uh, I've heard a lot of uh, made about the ending, which um, I think we're probably not going to spoil it because people should definitely <coughs> see it. Um, mm-hmm. But if you want to call it a twist on that, I saw it coming almost as soon as the sequence started. And so there was an Agreed. element for me of it was interesting and I was with it and I liked the way that it did resolve when it did, but I was also kind of ready for it to get on with itself a lot earlier than when it actually did. So it's a little disappointing for me because I was so very excited for it, but um, I wouldn't say it's a bad film by any stretch. I really, really liked quite a bit of it, but um, I think we have very, (coughs) I think we have very similar reactions to it. I think the difference was me going, ugh, this is medicine, but then liking it as opposed to you being super hyped for it and going, all right, it's good, but I kind of wish I had more. I think right. we ultimately felt very similar on it. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. And because for me, you know, I like Lord of the Rings. I like Game of Thrones, but I'm not I wouldn't consider myself like a medieval fantasy guy by any stretch. If anything, you're I was not uh, you're not wearing a tunic and eating like a big like turkey leg right now. Nah, that's never been my thing. I. Like, I, if anything, I was more excited for it because it looked like <laughs> an art house genre film, which is kind of yeah, yeah. one of my favorite types of which, things. Which actually ties into what we're going to talk about in a second as you wrap up your thoughts. Very um, much so, yeah. Um, quick question, Miles. Yeah. How familiar were you with the Green Knight? Yeah. Uh, so I did. I, I haven't read the poem, but um, I did watch a few YouTube videos sort of breaking it down ahead of time hmm. just to sort of familiarize oh, okay. myself with it. And uh, I, I did find that aspect interesting, the way it very much hews to it in some areas and very much diverts mm-hmm. from it in other areas. Um, mm. And I didn't have a, any problems with it in terms of adaptation because it was clear he used it more as a jumping off point than yeah. setting out <clears throat> to do a literal adaptation of it, uh, which yeah. I think is good and I think is interesting. I, I will probably see it again just because the theater we saw it in, the projector was kind of dim and the sound oh. system wasn't great. So I do feel like that might have marred the experience a little bit. Yeah. So I do want to give now, a chance on a much better quality what did, experience. What did your like very, uh, you know purple state if not red state audience think of it because that's what i want to talk about next um uh they were pretty quiet through most of it um so they were watching it i mean there weren't people talking or being (laughs) bored throughout so that's something uh the people i saw it with loved it right out of the gate so for whatever that's worth that's Um, good yeah i think it's just a movie i've got to sit on a little while but in terms of the original question of that or ghost story i've definitely got to go with the green knight fair so yeah, it made uh, it was number two at the box office this past weekend, uh, edging out the second week of old, which had sort of the expected M Night Shyamalan drop because you you know you see it opening weekend if you're interested. Well, but yeah, also, I, I was also too. All movies have had like a terrible second week drop off after. The I mean, for the most part, yeah, sixty percent was about what everyone expected. Yeah. Um, 
I think Space Jam had a smaller drop, but they also made maybe. less. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think, uh, or maybe they were out a week earlier. Yeah, they were out a week earlier. Sorry. Yeah. My, um, Snake Eyes came out last week and had a worse drop. That's what I was thinking of, I think. Bad uh, they dropped 70%. But yeah, um, Green Knight making, you know, 6.8 million, let's say, um, was, I think, very satisfying for A24, but also, you know, Kind of what you expect. I would say, yeah, yeah, it was at the high end of what you would expect because um, we were talking about this off air. The 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 smaller movies and the and the mid budget, the few that are left, haven't really gotten hurt in the new box office just yet. Yeah, it's more like uh, the things that need to make two hundred, three hundred, four hundred, five hundred million dollars are going to struggle. Like uh, that's why you see Disney saying what the combined gross was. So like, yeah. I think the, to make the press release was better. Yeah. yeah. Jungle Cruise gave us $90 million this weekend. Well, 34 of it was in the theater. So more people than not watched it at home mm. or rented it or whatever the case may be. And with Black Widow, like, oh, we had a great opening, but we did we did boost it fairly well with with the uh, the premium rental. So there's those those movies are going to have trouble because I think the somewhat more casual moviegoer. Who needs a reason to go to the movies? Maybe hasn't found one yet. But the people who want to go are going. Because if you look, Green Knight opening the 6.78. That's the, I'm sure A24 was happy. Stillwater making 5.1. I'm sure Focus was was very satisfied. And they were both in, in Stillwater's in 2,500 theaters. Green Knight was in a little less than 2,800. Like, I'm sure their per theater average was was very satisfying. Yeah, and probably for what still also, hoping to stealing do. also a little bit of each other's audiences a little bit. Yeah, I think I think, and then yeah, yeah. The, the the last week you had those two movies competing for a very similar audience. Yeah, yeah. I would uh, say Green Knight skews younger to more of like the the college age cinephile. Yeah, no, I and, agree. And then like for your older. Um, still water is like oh it's clint eastwood movie but good exactly <laughs> exactly um but i will say that like too like disney better hope and pray that like they start making more monies off of these properties because they're not only just gonna lose it because they put so much in it but then they're gonna lose it because uh they're gonna get sued for all by all their superstars so well you would think they'll eventually figure out how to renegotiate that that's just for a lot like- a lot of the movies that aren't made uh, or that are already made that are coming out gonna be really hard for them to do that yeah they that seems get off their ass and change the way that they're thinking about all this i mean it so. seemed like a very weird and we don't need to get into it because it's not particularly movie news but like that lawsuit from scarlett johansson i gotta imagine that, that that i yeah it's not gonna be the only one and i gotta imagine their contracts are very specifically worded yeah, yeah. they don't have anything like yes no one planned for a pandemic but and if you don't want to honor my contract I mean, we renegotiate. Yeah. I mean, it is it is funny that like you hear the talks of like Emma Stone's people and um, and 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 of course, Scarlett Johansson and a bunch of others. And then because they've already like The Rock is like the highest paid actor in the world. He's just like, yeah, I'm good because I read that in an article today and I was just like, huh. Interesting. Yeah, but you you get paid differently. Like, yeah, you know, it's it's The Rock gets his 25 million up front. The Marvel actors all take back end so they can make. Because those movies make billions, so, and they know, continue to make money. Yeah, so exactly. they, you know, so, it'll so, be interesting. Whatever. But, yeah, I yeah. think I think what the what you know, the but the, I'll tell the you smarter this, move would have been for them to renegotiate. 
six months ago when mm. they thought they were going to be able to come back out and go, why don't we give you half of what you thought you were going to make? Let's call it a day. We don't really know what the world's going to be like. And I'm sure they would have been fine with it. Keep everyone happy. Yeah, well, and I, it's the same. I, yeah. It's the same problem that came around uh, back last year when they when Warner Brothers announced the HBO Max day and date reveal, but didn't tell oh, yeah. any of their talent about it. It's like yeah, why don't I mean, why don't you guys resolve this stuff behind closed doors ahead of time rather than airing your dirty laundry in the public yeah, no, eye? Because it doesn't make yeah, any sense. There's got to be a ton of lawyers. They lost in Nolan rooms, out of that. Yeah, they let, Nolan's probably never going to do a Warner Brothers movie again. Like Netflix, he is might do a Netflix out. movie before them. Yeah, like which is crazy because like Warner Brothers is known to be the place for the director. You know what I mean? Yep. And and he's made them so much money. Like we don't know. I mean, he you know there's scuffles all the time. Uh, maybe they maybe it works out. Maybe it fixes itself. But I, I will say this: I think we can all agree the minute we were done watching <laughs> the Green Knight, no matter how much we all loved it or were in the middle on it or whatever. I just sat there and I went, I love this movie. There is no way in hell this movie is making any money. So for it nope. to make like close to $7 million, it's like good. But I'm like, I, I was I, I, all the reactions, the cinema scores, all that stuff. I was like, yeah, I'm not surprised by it. It's an A24 what, what, art house. Film. I, did, I was about to say, I was actually looking up the cinema score right now. Yeah, it's like a C, C plus. C plus, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And C plus was, for the Green Knight. I wasn't surprised. Which is exactly expected. Yeah. A minus for Jungle Cruise. That's about right. <laughs> good God. B minus for Stillwater was a little interesting. Yeah, no, it's not. Which again is, I think, you know what it is. Again, that's the same thing. People went expecting the the, the man and ox story, and they got something. Yeah. Else. yeah, and they got like, wait, there's like a very nice like domestic drama in the middle of this movie, which Uh-oh. is which is like you said, Joe, the best part of the film. Yeah, easily the movie the movie's at its best there. The thriller stuff is dumb. It's so but I think it, bad, but again, it ends really well. I think yeah. it ends really well. Which I'm I, again pissed off Amanda Knox, but yeah. the ending of that that's... becomes the boring identity. Shout out to Eric Anderson for who told me that this week, which was uh-huh. great. Which was great. Fair enough. Um, yeah. So we'll we'll we yeah we'll hit more on the Green Knight in the in the months to come. I'm sure it's not going to be mm-hmm. one that we're we're one offing. But I do want to I want to hit the other Ryan McDermott part of the question. He has a mountain for us, and it's one I think we're going to like. It's Mount Rush more. Choose four directors that you are most dying to see make another film already. So we can already put Todd Field there. So one down. <laughs> so we're talking about people that haven't made a film in a while yeah let's let's say it's been long enough that you're don't say like oh my god wes anderson because just because you haven't seen the french dispatch <laughs> right right and he's like in production on another movie um and, or like gonna... i can't say i can't say kevin smith when he's shooting clerks three tomorrow yeah you know like he, someone who like get on with it already mm. um i'm gonna say another one she uh she took a she took a little bit of a nosedive more recently, but I I still I still am, am really into it. Uh, Kimberly Pierce. Oh sure. Hmm. I love Boys Don't Cry. Yeah. I really like Stop Loss. I know it was kind of like everyone kind of gave it a meh. I I, I quite was, liked Stop Loss. I think that was Stop that was Loss one of got, the first ones for me that kind of you know made me raise my eyebrows as Channing Tatum as an actor. Yeah, hmm. I mean they all all of those like. Iraq war movies of the like 2006 to 2010 era with the exception of I would say um the hurt locker, uh, hurt locker you know mm-hmm. fell on their face cuz they a lot of them had nothing to say yep you know Most how much of them do you came remember out way too soon yeah, yeah how much do you remember about soon. rendition yeah like lions for lambs I, so I hate I I I know everyone hates lions for lambs I don't hate it no I don't I hate it I just think it's it's just it's, it's such a better movie to be made there 
like Aaron Sorkin makes Lions for Lambs, it's actually an interesting story. Oh, you just because you look at like there, there's no better casting than Tom Cruise as a shit-eating grin Republican senator. Yeah, like, and the reporter interviewing him is Meryl Streep. Like, there's your movie. Yeah, just make that movie, God. and that's the um, best part of the film too. Yeah, even though it's it's very poorly written. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's wasn't just that one of the last times that Tom Cruise did a movie that wasn't like action or sci-fi? Yeah, Rock of Ages, I guess, was the other one. Well, yeah. uh, Tropic Thunder. I'm, the last time right. he did a movie where he wasn't like, I mean, Tropic Thunder is kind of a gag, but like the last time yeah. he did like a Magnolia or Born on the Fourth of July level, like yeah, yeah, where yeah, he's yeah probably a character, I, not just a variation on Tom Cruise. Or yeah. I mean, I, I would, Cruise. I would argue. I mean, I guess I'm. I mean, so here's what I'll say. I do think he's doing something in uh, in Rock of Ages that's at least enjoyable, though nothing special. Right, but I would put that um, along with uh, Tropic Thunder as like a gag Tom Cruise. Yeah, like, sort of. like, it's yeah, funny yeah. because like, it's Tom Cruise. Like The Last Samurai, I mean, I, right? Which I mean, I guess no, he's good ones. in Last Samurai. No, I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I like I like his performance. Much, it's like one of the last of times he was movie, an actual actor. How much of an action movie do you consider American made? Um, it, that that's one, a hybrid. That, yeah, that's that one's a, kind yeah, of a hybrid. A, I think the fact yeah. that it's a Doug Liman film kind of that doesn't help. That that the only me, reason he was willing to make it. Well, I think yeah, it's because he just worked with him on Edge of Tomorrow. They're reuniting again for like that space movie or whatever's happening. So I think that was more of a I'll do whatever Doug Liman is doing rather than I'm genuinely interested in playing this character. Yeah. Otherwise, then yeah, it would be the it would be. Valkyrie in 2008, Lions from Lambs 2007. Okay. And even Valkyrie is almost an action movie. Yeah, well, and it definitely was sold like an action movie. Yeah. Uh, back to Ryan's question, guys. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Kim- so, yeah, Kimberly Pierce made made Carrie after that, which wasn't great. Oof. But then sort of because, again, gender, wound up in director's jail when you aren't don't have a perfect score. So I would uh, very much like to break her out of jail for that. Mm. I would so say I, I, I would I would argue those two should be on the list. Though I'm very open minded. I'd say Bigelow, because she kind of got put herself in jail for oh, by people's responses to Detroit, and it's like nothing's in development for her. Yeah, and, I would agree with that. And she's fantastic. Um, Tom Ford. I really like wish, Nocturnal I I, Animals. I, I, like, and I, I, I love, like the Tom Ford movie. And I and I love uh, a, a Simple Man. And those he's only made two movies, and I, I'd say him, and then. And then I'd say Spike Jones. Uh, Spike Jones, I think it works. Her. That was like eight years ago, guys. It's well, like, yeah, so that's why. So that's the thing. I was gonna say I don't. I don't want to count Catherine Bigelow because it's only three years since Detroit. Is it? It's that's like yeah, five 2000, years. 2018, I think 2017. No, really? but so it's like it's still in the normal realm of like I'm working on something, even like, though she's not like currently. Yeah, no. yeah. Does, but yeah, Spike Jones but, have something in development though? nothing he's directed but yeah 2013 it's gonna be almost 10 years for her so i think he counts okay well then yeah definitely spike jones on there i did I, yeah. for some reason i think of her as being much more recent than it was because it's just timely mm. yeah has, um, has so let's today yeah, so if we have if we have uh so i hmm, we need at least one more because i think todd field has to be on there because he's the poster child for this isn't he coming out with the one though he always supposedly is coming out with one. Oh, okay. But I don't know that he shot it. I'm gonna double check. I thought it was like like Dude. coming out next year or something like that. No, he, there's nothing supposedly in development. I mean, he had um, a couple of things, but they didn't. Uh, they never ended up shooting. Yeah. So if we, so I mean, and we all seem to like Kimberly Pierce. So like, I'm not, I'm not saying include her for sure, but let's find at least one more because mm-hmm. we have three. If we don't, don't say anyone dead. Uh. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I was about to say, if you'd asked this question like a month ago, I would have said Richard Donner. Yeah, that would have been yeah. really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's R.I.P. still dead. Yeah. I mean, Francis Ford I mean, Coppola? I mean, nah, because yeah. Francis Ford Coppola's last, like, ten movies have all been garbage. Um... Fair. I mean, now I'm now I'm trying to figure. Out now if it, like if like the co- well, if, if like Apocalypse like Now's in his last ten, and youth <laughs> within youth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, who doesn't Listen, like Jack? Right? Whatever the fucking Vincent Gallo movie he did, it's just um, all all terrible. Tetro. Uh, yeah, Tetro Twixt youth. Oh, you know his his best his last good movie is definitely The Rainmaker in '97. Yeah, that's really good. Um, you know what's you know what's crazy is like last year I would have said, uh, Sean Durkin. But he made the nest and yeah. came back after a decade, or like Deborah Granite a couple of years ago, um, with Leave No Trace because mm-hmm. it took her like almost a decade to do it. Um, so those people kind of went off the board. Um, yeah, God, it's it's real tough, like to, to find a indie director. Is there know. anyone? I'm trying to think now of like one and duns. Like who never made a second movie? One and done's from like this past decade, or I'm like the last general. two decades. I mean, it, as long, again, as long as they're alive, I'm open minded. Yeah, um, um, I'm thinking. Like, keep this, going. This is tough. This is, this is really tough because a lot of people do work, and and you know, um, Jesus, I'm looking. I'm. It's and what's what's also not count directors who are actors who don't make another film well okay i mean that that kind of falls into that but he's more known as a director when was the last time rob reiner directed anything oh uh what is it like the bucket list no he's made like three movies since then if not more has he really what was the last thing he did his last movie was shock and awe three years ago so since the bucket list he has made six movies nobody look can anyone name the six I can't even name one of them. <laughs> Steve, can you name any of the six movies in the last 14 years that Rob Reiner has made? Wait, the bucket list is 14 years old? 2007. God. Ryan, can you name any? Didn't he make LBJ? We got one. Still got five uh, other movies. Okay. That's 2016 LBJ. Um... He did that movie with your with one of your boys, I think, that you like, Joey, with Nick Robinson from the the. He did make a movie with Simon him. I didn't guy. like it. I didn't mm-hmm. like it, but he was in. He did make a movie with Nick Robinson. Yeah, that love Simon guy, right? Because it was sort of like about his life or whatever. He's on. He's mm-hmm. on like political shows all the time, plugging something, and so that's why he's got to be on these things. So uh, I don't know uh, what it is. I don't. Ryan know was thinking of the movie Being Charlie from 2015. Oh, God. So yeah, that's right. So he made. A movie in 2010, a movie in 2012, a movie in 2014, a movie in 2015, a movie in 2016, a movie in 2017. Are you serious? Yep. In 2010, he made Flipped, which is actually very underrated. It's a cute, like, teen rom-com kind of thing. Um, nobody saw it. I don't it. recall it. Yeah. Mm. Nobody saw it. It was very nice, though. Sounds wonderful. Um, I enjoyed it. It was uh, two, like, eighth graders who have, like, feelings for each other. It, it wasn't anything, like, super original. He wrote it. He co-wrote it, though, which was a little different. Um, I enjoyed it. Nobody saw it. Uh, then he made The Magic of Belle Isle with uh, 
Movie you've never seen with Morgan Freeman, Virginia Madsen, Kenan Thompson, Kevin Pollock, and Fred Willard. Mm. A classic. No, he also <laughs> co-wrote that one. Nobody saw it. It made $100,000. <laughs> At least Flipped made $4.3 So somebody saw it. Mm. Warner Brothers put it out. Uh, then he made And So It Goes with Michael Douglas, Diane Keaton, and was written by the writer of As Goes It Gets. Mm. Huh. And that one made 25, $25 million? Jesus Christ. Cool. Uh, Joe, yeah. I, have a, I have an answer. All right. Uh, Peter Weir. That might be a good answer. Peter so, Weir, Peter Weir, who is directed. If everybody out there that doesn't know, Witness, The Poet Society, Fearless, The Truman Show, Master and Commander. His last film was The Way Back in 2010. Okay, right, yeah, yeah, he, he counts. Years. He definitely counts. Yeah. Okay, I like that one. I do have one more that I just thought of that I'd throw out there. All right, uh, Henry Selleck. Ooh, who did Interesting. The Nightmare Before Christmas, James and the Giant Peach, Monkey Bone, and Coraline. I don't think he's directed a feature film since Coraline. Coraline? Uh, he's been in talks to do this project with Key and Peele, but I have no idea what the status of that is. I first heard about it years ago. And obviously stop motion takes a long time to make, but I haven't heard anything since then. So I want to see whatever he wants to do next. Uh, unfortunately, that movie is a Netflix movie, and I believe it has shot in some way. Oh, yeah! It was in production, so it does not count. Damn! I don't know if it finished. I think they got stuck in the middle. So he is in the middle, but you would have been right otherwise. That was Wendell and Wild was what you're. That's thinking the of. one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and I also he's. It. Yeah. I hope does it's, it, I hope does it's it, not a the collected situation where they just stop making it eight days in and never come back to it. Yeah. Um, um, so you may be stuck on. I think. I mean, listen, we can finish up on. Uh, Todd Field, Kimberly Pierce, Spike Jones, and uh, and Peter Weir. I'm happy with that. And Peter Weir, yeah. yeah. Oh, that sounds good. Um, yeah. So, by the way, in addition to being Charlie, which Ryan kind of got, which made thirty thousand dollars, Jesus Christ, there was LBJ, and then you guys did not get shock and awe. Oh, how did I forget that the, one? The Woody Harrelson, Tommy Lee Jones, James Marsden, Mila Jovovich, and Jessica Biel movie. Of course, um, it was all on our top tens of the year, right, guys? I, I've, I mean, I've seen it. It, <laughs> I mean, it just, made one hundred eighty-two thousand dollars. It was yeah. somewhere in a grab bag of ten films I didn't see that year. Yeah, distributed by Vertical Entertainment on Directv. Mm. Good times. Mm. <laughs> all right. Well, times anyway. Yes. So, uh, before we play the uh, Arm and White game. Ooh. We're going to talk about The Suicide Squad. Tell us more. So, Miles and I have seen The Suicide Squad, and uh, not that we often disagree, but I don't know that we've ever, short of a Saw movie, agreed as much as we do here. Um, this is my favorite film of the year so far, and uh, Miles, I'll let you go first. I know you love it as well. Let's, uh, let's geek out, because this, uh, this is kind of a masterpiece. Uh, yeah, masterpiece is the operative word. Um, I agree. Uh, yeah, not that we often disagree, but I, I can't remember the last time when we both had the same number one of the year so far. But this is... Uh, 
For what this movie is trying to do, it's basically perfect. And I don't say that lightly, because I can definitely be a critique about certain kinds of films, and I watch a hell of a lot of comic book films, but this is the kind of thing where it pushes the genre in new and exciting ways that even if you think you've seen a bunch of the trailers, you kind of know how the details of the plot are going to go. There's just so much between the little details and the character moments and just there's so much in there that you're not going to see coming. And it's so inventive and surprising. This is an auteur superhero film in the best way. This is James Gunn clearly not... Warner Brothers did not say no to anything he wanted to do. And it really shows. It's a hard R. It's brutal. It's gory. It's irreverent. um, But it's also emotional in the right places. It's hilarious all the way through. Uh, The action is fun and exciting. It's there's a decent amount of practical effects for what you would imagine would be a pretty CGI driven film. Um, I don't know. It just feels so grounded. The characters are all fantastic. Even minor characters who, without giving anything away, there's some of them that, you know, you barely spend a few minutes with, but every single one of them makes an impression and you feel like, you know, you get a sense of who they are. And especially the ones that stick around longer, they're memorable and they're interesting and they bounce off each other. Well, it's in so many ways, the movie that the first film should have been. And that first film may well go on as one of the great missed opportunities in the genre, because I can't think of two movies that are connected to each other that are such are on such far different way. Um, let me start that again. I can't think of two movies that are connected to each <coughs> other that are on such opposite ends of the quality spectrum. Like that movie oh, yeah. is absolute garbage. This movie is phenomenal from start to finish. Oh yeah. And I mean, literally whatever part of that you want to break down it to uh, break it down into it just becomes exactly what you said like if you talk about caring about the characters didn't give a shit about any of the characters in Ayer's version and I mean I'll even give him a lot of credit that I don't think it was necessarily his fault but we can only go by the movie we've been shown but you didn't care about the characters you couldn't tell what was going on. The plot made no sense. It, it it very much felt thrown together, and this this feels this feels like a James Gunn movie, which you know we people. I think a lot of people forget about him in terms of what he really is because you think about the Guardians movies. He's an indie filmmaker, like he's an auteur, and he makes like basically high quality trauma movies, and this is the first like trauma blockbuster i would say yeah that's good which is insane to think about like that shouldn't exist but even down to like things we won't specifically talk about because they're spoilery but there's at least one thing in the movie that you'll know what i mean where you're like oh only he would have thought of this and this is so both dumb and also phenomenal Yeah, absolutely. Well, and it's the difference between movies that are dumb-dumb and movies that are smart-dumb. And because a lot of the things in here are kind of goofy and kind of ridiculous and would kind of play as just schlock in the hands of a lesser filmmaker. But James Gunn has this uncanny ability where he can take the most ridiculous premises and the most ridiculous characters and spin them in a way where it's artful and there's purpose behind everything. It's such a good script. Everything is just so tight there's not a moment wasted i don't think 
Uh, it's it's the no, movie where even though there's so many bloated, you know, release the Snyder cut, you know, three hour epics going around these days. This is a movie where if it's 30 minutes longer, I would have been content because I just wanted to keep spending time with these characters. For sure. It's also a legit war movie, like in structure and execution. It's it's I would say. I mean, it's got like a Dirty Dozen vibe to it, obviously, mm-hmm. but but also just any like taking a point movie, you know, your your Hamburger Hills, your third act of Saving Private Ryan, like it does it structurally very similar. And every time you think it's about to screw up, like even in the beginning, the opening sequence is great, but oh, then yeah. something happens where you're like, oh, that's a little like not what I was expecting. And then it immediately self-corrects. And you're like, oh no, that was on purpose. And that's a, wa- a lot of what I think makes this so special is it's it's made by someone who knows what you don't like about these movies. Like, it's he's obviously not trying to win over, like, your mom. It's not gonna, it's not gonna be like a zeitgeist everyone needs to see it film. It's not gonna be Black Panther where, like, grandparents are going to see it just because they want to be a part of the conversation. Sure. But it's it's designed for you know all the people who like this sort of movie but never get that movie they were kind of hoping for? What if I just give them that for like two hours and 20 minutes? And it's just, it's all that. And then even when I when I sort of backtrack into like emotion, and it's not like a, a particularly emotional film in the sense of like high drama, but the characters all feel really honest and that's strange for a movie that involves um, a giant man-eating shark, a uh, life-size weasel, other things that I won't spoil. Like, just like, the fact that you you buy them all as being like a part of their reality. And I will just say, um, I don't know who your favorites were, but my under-the-radar MVP is Sebastian the Rat. Oh my god, he's so good. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's one of those things where, and to go back to your point about gun and uh, to sort of uh, tie it back there, it feels like sort of this beautiful summation of his filmography because it does blend sort of the heart and the spectacle of the guardians films with the kind of down and dirty sort of grit of like slither or super. Um, and, and that also that sense of sort of not being restrained in any way, like he can do whatever he wants to do and he, he doesn't take that freedom lightly. Like he makes this the most James Gunn movie that ever James Gunned. Hundred um, percent. Like he was, he was definitely <clears throat> ready with this idea when uh, when Marvel, you know, briefly fired him, and Warner was like, <clears throat> "You can do anything you want." And I think he said they offered him two different projects. Well, I think and they we don't know what Superman. Yeah, he and never just, said what the other turned, one was. I, I I remember reading somewhere that like Superman was at least on the table, but uh, and he was looking at a few other things. But this was the one that he came back to. He specifically cited um, the John Ostrander run of the Suicide Squad comic as being very influential for him. And if you well, look yeah. at you know even just like a few covers of uh, that original um, a comic book, you can tell just. This is such a, a vibrant, like, beautiful film to look at. The first one was so gray and so murky and so sort of generic looking. This one, like, every single character pops, every environment, every shot. Like, there's some amazing shots in this movie. There's one um, really cool uh, fight scene that happens in the reflection of a helmet. 
but yeah, it's that like was great. beautifully choreographed. You can tell what's going on. There's some stuff in the opening credits, which I won't spoil, where like the camera's sort of roving around a battlefield and it's like dizzying, but you can always tell what's going on. Yeah, and I saw it in, in IMAX, so it's just like the scope of it all. You you really are appreciating it, which is <clears throat> very weird to say for like a comic book movie not directed by Nolan. Um, but yeah, I can, I can definitely see James Gunn going, I kind of have DC and Warner Brothers over a barrel and that they want me because they want the like news story of we, we beat Marvel. You know, we got we got one of theirs. So I have an advantageous position. But I probably can't make the Superman that I would make. It's basically me doing Guardians. And I and I've done that. But if I tell them I want to take Suicide Squad one, they everyone even they hated their their version. And two, it's the one that I can justify doing my version. And if they want me, they're going to say yes. Because if you look at who else they were looking at for, like, Suicide Squad 2, which was going to be a sequel to that first movie, it was, like, I think the, I mean, I think I, I did this with you once, and I think your mind was blown when I told you it was Mel Gibson. Was like oh, one yeah, of the yeah, I remember that. Which, I mean, obviously they weren't working off the same script or story idea, but seeing how much of a war film this turned into, in a roundabout way, that may have actually ended up working. But that said, I think Gunn was absolutely the man for the job. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, I mean, listen, I think they know they have a hit. But I wonder if they're even a little surprised with the response. Um, also, side note, this is mostly for you and me. But if you if you uh, go to the Suicide Squad's like Twitter page, they responded to my uh, tweet. Oh, with, uh, with a gif of Ratcatcher 2 with the uh, caption crying. Aww. Which... Since you know the scene also. Well, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's the other thing. Like, I couldn't give a shit about Ratcatcher 2 until I, like, I didn't even know who it was. And you watch it, like, the character's great. Like, everyone is the best version of that character. Like, I, like we all kind of went in knowing King Shark was going to be funny. But also has, like, two, like, very heartfelt moments. Yeah. Um, like, Flag was, was nothing in the first movie. And, like, is... is Enjoyable here. Well, obviously one of the least showy characters. Also, I think worth noting, just as a slight aside, this might be the first like Idris Elba blockbuster that's any good. Like I know you, I think you like Pacific Rim more than I do, but like his big, his big movies have not been great. Like Dark Tower, um, Hobbs and Shaw, I guess is fine, but like he's, it's not usually where his like good taste lies. Well, sure. He it, it's very much always been a case of I'll do a big one so that I can play Nelson Mandela or do a western. Yeah, or something it, like it really that. felt like it was. I'm gonna make a big movie this in the next six months. What's available? Let's pick the best one of that. Yeah. As opposed to like being courted and and you know, I don't know what his you know like taste in film is, but I would imagine if he was a fan of James Gunn being like, oh wait, you're gonna make <clears throat> you're gonna make Super for two hundred million dollars. Like, oh, yeah, I'm in. Like, great, let's do it. Well, my understanding is he signed on to the project before they'd even figured out which character he was going to play because he weren't wanted to work with James Gunn so bad. Yeah, I think that wasn't there when they originally saying he might have been just playing. They were just going to recast Will Smith. Well, yeah, he was going to be Deadshot, which I'm glad they didn't do that, because even though there are similarities between the characters, 
I like this version better because A, it leaves the door open for maybe Will Smith coming back into a better version of this franchise. And yeah. B, Idris Elba, I think, has a lot more flexibility to make this character his own. And it lets him be funny, which you almost never see him get to do, you know, on the indie side or the blockbuster side. Yeah. And I think, like, whenever he's on interviews, like, he's a pretty charming guy. Like, yeah. He's not, like, a brooding fuck. And he, you know, that's sort of what he gets cast as. Like, he has the, he, it's not a problem because he's doing very well for himself. But I think a lot of people cast him different, than, like, because he looks like he should be this guy. And he has, like, gravitas. stoic and very gravelly and, yeah. And he, and he has sad eyes, like, things that yeah. you can work with. In the same way that, like, there was a solid decade of people being like, Ben Affleck looks like an action hero. Let's make him an action hero. Let's make him you know, a, a movie star and like, yeah, he's a movie star, but like the best Ben Affleck is character actor, Ben Affleck. Like, Oh, totally. And you know, when you don't look like, when you look like JK Simmons, they love to make you a character actor. When you look like Ben Affleck, they want to put you in bounce and like bounce isn't a bad movie, but like there's plenty of ones that were bad, you know, like paycheck. I was like, what's it? Yeah. I mean, like Geely is at least some of all fears. Yeah, well, like, things that are, like, never were going to be a home run. Yeah. Like, at best, they were going to be like, okay, that's fine. And that's what I think you see with some of Idris Elba. And even some of, like, the indie stuff he does. But also, is he's in the new George Miller movie, like, which is a romantic epic. Or, I, don't, I, I couldn't even tell you what it's about yet, because no one knows. But, you know, you can use him so much better than a lot of people use him. And this is a great example of that. Um I mean, no one's surprised that Har- that Margot Robbie's good as Harley. Like, it's her thing. But it uses her, like, the right amount. Oh, I absolutely. Well, and I think, you know, it's not controversial to say this is easily the best of her three appearances in the role. And she feels the most comfortable with it. I feel like she gets the most satisfying amount of stuff to do. Whereas Birds of Prey, she was basically playing Lady Deadpool. And the first Suicide Squad was just embarrassing for so many reasons but this one she feels like a fully formed fleshed out character and it really does cement how in my opinion it's one of the better casting coups in terms of translating the original character to movies um like i can't imagine anyone else playing the role as well as she does no she does such a good job and i like that it's the first one that's not sort of joker dependent like obviously, Absolutely. there's one the first throwaway one. line that kind of sort of references him, but it's used in a moment of growth for her and a moment yeah. of like reflection that I found really sort of compelling and made me like a bit more invested in her than I might have been otherwise. Yeah. Like it's it's a it's a weird thing to, to think about growth, but yeah, she she does a thing, um, that um, initially you're like that's out of left field, and then she kind of monologues about why she did it. And I think we're thinking of the same thing, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, like, it's it's clearly a just, like, I did learn something from, from dating the Joker. Mm-hmm. But I never have to bring him up, and he's not a part of my world anymore. But I wouldn't have made this choice otherwise. And the way she frames it, it's still, like, broad enough that it got a lot of applause from, from the ladies in the crowd. Because it is, like, a very, like, winning moment um, among a, a ton of them in, in this movie. But... Um, at the same time, like, we're making it seem like it's more of, like, a great shock. Like, it does, I think, everything you expect it to just really, really well, and that's the surprise. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised if someone could almost 100% accurate predict who lives, who dies, and 
maybe even in broad strokes the order, but so much of it is in in what they do with those deaths. They they none are really like throwaway. There's one or two that are like comedic almost, but for the most part, they're it goes back to like that war movie comment. Like there was no every once you met every character in Saving Private Ryan. If you think about that movie, most of them are dead by the end of that movie. Yeah, but, but everyone's every, death, every death along the way means something and is a significant moment, and it's the same here. Yeah, it's 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 really it's it's it, like shockingly well done. Yeah, like it, it's that it, yeah it's it's almost hard to talk about it because it's so well done. Like because you just go over like and I like this and I like this and I like that. Like there was one moment that I thought was going to be a a pretty big plot hole, and it's centered around I think the weakest part of the film. Which is still really good, but it's just not as interesting as the rest of it. Sure. But then you realize, oh no, they set up why this wouldn't be a problem. And they and they kind of remind you a little bit after that. But it also doesn't treat you like you're stupid. Like there's one, like the opening scene essentially is one of the Suicide Squad people being recruited. And Amanda Waller gives like the spiel. And that's really the only time of like, if you don't know what this is, we'll tell you. But it's done as, like, very much the, like, military, we're getting you ready to go on a mission diatribe. So even then, it's just, it's the least annoying way to do something that you're like, we know. It would be like, yeah, it would be like a Spider-Man movie, the next reboot, if they're like, well, we gotta explain how he became Spider-Man. But let's just do it in, like, in a side of him telling someone, like, telling his therapist, well, in a lot of ways, that's pretty much what they did with Homecoming. You never see his origin. It's just like, oh, yeah, like like a movie and a half after we've met him. It's just like, oh, yeah, I was bitten by a spider and then the spider yeah, died. Like they, that was, yeah, like that's, and again, one of the reasons I love that franchise yeah. is that they were just like, you guys know. Like, let's just get to the good stuff. You get but it. But like, even in like the next one, when they're like, we're reintroducing and whatever, and some idiot at the studio is like, you have to, you have to clue people in. Like, a smart filmmaker would be like, well, let's just get it done in, like, 30 seconds. Exactly. Which is why, like, I couldn't get that that mad about in BVS, the opening credits showing, like, the Batman origin. I'm like, I mean, I'd rather you have not. Like, we all know how Batman became Batman, but at least you're getting rid of it early on. So it's not, like, taking up time that I would be spending in this narrative. Like, that's a... That's a pet peeve. Is like we we know like you're making this movie because we know these characters. Yeah. Like, you know, Deadpool. Yeah, you got to teach people who Deadpool was, but you never do again. Like, if Deadpool three is you know a full on Marvel movie, and it will be, like they don't need to explain who Deadpool is. Drop him into the world and figure it out. Yeah. Well, and he's Which, such a self contained character as well that he can kind of just be Deadpool, and you can pick up the rest through just context. Yeah, and that's what makes this franchise good. Is like you said, like Will Smith gonna hypothetically come back though. Not to be a little mean, but I don't think he has good enough taste to come back. Like he's almost always wrong with his big movies. Maybe, but if this one ends up being a pretty big success, maybe he'll be like, "Oh, well, maybe now's the time to get back to it." Yeah, because everyone is basically, except for no, I think yeah, everyone in the first movie is either dies in that movie or is in jail, right? Because at the end of the movie, they're, the they're end of just it, yeah. They're back in prison, but they have, you know, TVs and, you know, they're they're set up with the implication being they'll do it again. Yeah. And this movie doesn't change any of that in terms of, like, structure. So 
oh yeah, anyone from the first movie left over could certainly just be in another part of the uh, the prison for the next one. Well, exactly. Though, they well, and they can clearly reach deep into the DC Rogues Gallery and just pick the most obscure characters. And that's you know going back to the idea of you know James Gunn being able to do whatever he wants. What's brilliant here is that you've got like Harley Quinn and Amanda Waller are probably like the most well-known, high-profile DC characters here. Virtually everyone else is really living up to the Suicide Squad name. They're disposable and expendable, not just within the story, but by DC comic standards. Like, oh, the yeah. higher-ups like, at Warner Brothers and DC don't give a fuck what you do with Javelin. They don't oh, care yeah, that's about the... Blackguard. They don't, you oh, know, yeah. you can do whatever like, you want with these characters. Like, here's a game that we'll play real quick. Um, and basically, this is for the audience more so than anything else. I'll name the people in this movie. In your head, and Miles and I'll do it sort of quickly, did you know this was a character? Harley Quinn, yes. We all we all know yes. Bloodsport, maybe not even a yes. Like I, I'd never heard of him before I saw that Idris Elba was cast as him. Yeah, like, I, I mean, I knew there was, like, a Bloodsport movie, but it wasn't a superhero movie. I think everyone mostly just assumes it's Deadshot. Um, Peacemaker? So Peacemaker, Probably not. Peacemaker, I knew. The only reason I know him is because when Alan Moore was originally writing Watchmen, originally yeah. he wanted to use actual characters that DC owned. Uh, but DC said, no, we want to do stuff with these characters. Create your own characters. But Peacemaker yeah. is the character who eventually became the comedian in Watchmen. Which very much tracks. Yeah, very um, much so. Rick Flag, you only knew because of the first movie. Um, King Shark, I'd say. Real probably quick on Rick Flag, can you believe there was a time when Tom Hardy was going to play that role? No, considering that first movie. Well, um, but he wouldn't have known the first movie would have turned into that. But yeah, when he made but he, it. but considering how crazy he can be, he might have had a lot of fun in this one. Oh my God, can you imagine? I think they also would have their character would have been written a little differently. Sure, because he is sort of. The straight man in this. You need one person to be like, oh, God, these are all crazy people, which you already knew. But like, but especially even as, him. even as the straight man, he's so much more like fun and alive and engaged than he was the first time. Oh, the yeah. There was just generic army man here. He feels like a character, not like, like there's the a, brightest bulb, but he's like he's a part of the team. Oh, yeah. Like you could 100 percent see the difference of like early on. He's leading a mission and they they. They water land. They all they all jump into the water, and the fucking weasel like starts to like struggle to swim, <laughs> and he just yells, "Did anyone check to see if the weasel could swim?" And in the first movie, he would have been like, "Oh shit," or something, or he wouldn't have even reacted. Yeah, yeah, like that's there's there's a and that movie is full of those things. But um, yeah, um, King Shark. I think most people know. Yep. So that's an exception. But you need you know you need Amanda Wall. You only know from the first movie. Boomerang, you know, from the first movie. Uh, the Thinker is going to be a no, I would imagine. Yeah, for most people, is a no. Polka Dot Man's going to be a no for most people, or if they do, yeah. as, like, that awful thing people did, they did once. Well, Polka Dot Man is the only reason anyone would know him is, I mean, j the reason he's in the movie is because James Gunn literally Googled who's the dumbest DC Comics character. Exactly. And that's what and came then, up. And so people might know him by that reputation of the dumbest comic characters. Even though they, I think he completely re 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 rejiggered the character. Oh, yeah. No, in the comics, he he barely 
except for like having a white and polka dot suit he's almost a completely different character yeah doesn't he like his polka dots become like things they become like buzz saws or like a boxing glove will come out of them or like crazy they're much more like gadgets where here they're more like polka dot shaped explosives if you will yeah which fits more for the war movie approach anyway i agree um Ratcatcher two. I'm gonna go on a limb and say people didn't know there was a Ratcatcher one. He's like a, um, a like a a D tier like Batman villain. I've seen him in some stuff, but he's very much yeah. Like, I'm like a joke. Like he they like the Batman animated series didn't deem him worthy of throwing him in. I don't think so. That was a that was uh, a sign. No, he was in one episode. Oh uh, really? Yep. It's not a very good one. <laughs> I was about to say it's probably some I missed, but like you know they did good work with a lot of characters. Like like that's the reason I love Clayface, but. Oh, At sure. the same time, like, you know, probably not going to work in a movie. Not going to work in, in the current Batman. Well, um, for sure. It would have had to, like, Schumacher oddly might have done well with him. If he had a, a budget enough to make him not look like crap. If they'd done yeah, him in or, the 90s, he would have looked awful. Yeah. Well, that's the problem. Was like, Tim Burton probably would have gotten him right, but it would have been garbage looking. Yeah. Like, he's very much a Tim Burton, like, emo, like, a struggling actor. Like, oh, he would have loved it. Um savant guarantee no one knows nope um blackguard definitely no one knows nope uh tdk guarantee no one knows uh now, Weasel, again that falls know- into the the polka dot man he's he's not quite the same but he's loosely inspired by a comic character called arm fall off boy which is literally a guy who pulls off his own arms and like whaps people with him yeah. and TDK again, works slightly differently but it's clearly a, a nod to that yeah. character but also you know i would but we're say talking less obscure than, stuff here yeah we're talking like pe- these are people who were gonna go see this movie you know no matter if this was the pandemic yeah joe multiplex is not gonna see the no. movie for a reinterpretation of arm fall off boy exactly same with um weasel yep javelin yep mongal yep um, am I missing anyone? Um, those I are, mean, there's those a, are most of the core ones. There might be one or two that we're forgetting. I mean, there's one other character listed. Oh, they, um, in the same way that sometimes there's like a guy in the movie who is playing a thing, but he's not actually there. I think Calendar Man is in it. He is. Uh, well, Sean Gunn uh, does the mocap for Weasel, but he also shows up as himself for like maybe five seconds as Calendar yeah, Man. Yeah, that's, that's just a like... Sean Gunn being like, can I be in the movie like where they can see me? Yeah, like, can, I, can, can my face be seen? <laughs> yeah, fine, we'll make you Calendar Man. Do I get to do anything? No. Well, it's the same with uh, Steve Agee uh, is the motion capture for King Shark, but he's also one of the main guys in uh, Amanda Waller's tech room. Yeah, which that's a fun room also. Oh, yeah. Well, that whole if it always reminded me of uh, Cabin in the Woods in terms of yep. the dynamic between them all. There's even the great scene near the beginning. This, is, this isn't really that big of a spoiler Not where, uh, they're, where they're taking uh, bets on who's going to die first. That felt oh, yeah. very Cabin in the Woods where they. Um, which is funny because this is a sequel, essentially, you know, they ditch yeah, what they don't soft want. Soft reboot. Yeah, I think is what they're but going with. Didn't she shoot everyone on her team once? Uh, a different or, team, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, essentially, when when she blew everyone away, they were working for it. It wasn't, like, her core crew like this, but, like, they're aware that she will kill you if she's not happy with you. Or at least, I don't even think she was unhappy with them. I think it was just... I, none of that movie made sense anyway. Well, but. yeah, I mean, let's... <laughs> 
But well, and that's sort of speaks to something they've been saying from the beginning, but I think is absolutely true. You do not need to have seen the first film to enjoy this one or to In understand fact, it. Like you probably shouldn't. <laughs> well, and like you'll be better off if you don't. But like any characters that were in the first one get like enough of a reintroduction here where you immediately get what they're about. And they don't there's like one throwaway line where Boomerang's like, oh, hey, Harley, you're back in jail. And like, that's the closest thing we get to referencing any character dynamics from the first one. Everything else also you could go into this blind and you'll still. Have yeah. If you didn't know that like DC, you know, Batman, Superman type villains go to go in and out of prison, like I can't help you. You 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 clearly don't know this material. Um What's, we're going to wrap up. We're going to talk more about this next week once more people have seen it. Also, we're just going to be enthusiastic about it. And then we can get into spoilers because, God, do I want to talk about the thing at the end. Oh, absolutely. Well, and again, like we said, this isn't a movie where you can spoil like big plot points necessarily, but it's the gags. It's the moment-to-moment yeah. character beats that are like the fun stuff to talk about. Anything, anything in the trailer that looks like, oh, that's generic. Like, trust me, it's not. Yeah. Like, they find- like the big dumb CGI climax at the end is one of the best big dumb CGI climaxes of any movie I can think of in recent memory. Because it a thousand percent is like, I know you think this is big and dumb and it is, but this is going to be big, dumb and fun in a way that you're just going to be like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's so um, good. Like it, like, yeah, like if you really, if you can't resist spoilers, you could look up what the thing is and, if you see what it is and you don't know what it is, you're going to go, there's no way that works. It works. They Somehow it, it works. Work. Um, but yeah, and just to sort of wrap up, because we've gone way longer and um, Steve and Ryan probably fell asleep. But um, quickly, uh, my heart does go out to David Ayer, who posted a pretty like emotional, like, I, you know, don't take things like, you know, I let a lot go off my back because I've had a hard life, but it was clear, like, it hurts that you guys hated that movie because I didn't make that movie with Suicide Squad. Like, yeah. you didn't see what I made. And, like, maybe his other movie wasn't much better because he's really a hit-or-miss filmmaker. Boy, But, isn't. yeah, like, I, I, I am inclined to believe, like, he didn't make this piece of shit. Like, they cut this piece of shit out of, like, his probably mediocre movie. Yeah. No, exactly. It it took what might have been a very average movie into, like, a dumpster fire. And I got to oh, yeah. say, I think he's the classiest guy for being nothing but supportive of James Gunn's version. And you have to imagine the freedom that James Gunn was allowed this movie is probably in no small part because of the overmanagement that happened on Ayer's version. So oh, yeah. in some and I, ways, we needed the bad Ayer version to happen in order for this one to flourish as much as it does. And I, and I, and I really believe that he probably won't watch the movie because it's probably going to be like painful. But I hope in my heart that like James Gunn at some point reached out and was like, if whenever you're ready, like I want to show it to you because you know, this isn't me erasing what you did. This is just like, they let me make the movie. Maybe you could have made. And like, it's my version of it. So it's not going to be the same thing, but like I, you know, I want you to know kind of thing. So who knows? We'll never find out. But like, it's uh, it's a shame because I think David Ayer is like a filmmaker who could make these type of movies. Like not this particular movie, but a Suicide Squad movie done by him could have worked. Oh like, yeah, he's well, a, you've, if you look at some of his better movies like Fury or End of Watch, he has it in him to make a really compelling movie of this sort. It just 
the timing was bad, the ingredients were bad, you know, the, uh, the reaction to the previous uh, uh, BVS, I think, very much influenced the studio's micromanaging, and they were just doing a lot of that around the time, which ended up blowing up in uh, Justice oh, yeah. League just a year later. And there's, you know, there's plenty of other things to the contrary of, like, you know, I think those movies, I think End of Watch is, is going to be his masterpiece because it's a wonderful movie. And yeah. I think Fury is a really good movie that probably didn't need to be an Oscar movie. That that hurt it. Like, the buzz of it being an awards player. But at the same time, like, Harsh Times is fair. Street Kings is forgettable. Sabotage is okay if you watch it as a B-movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Bright is not very good. And Tax Collector is awful. So, like, he's capable of making bad movies. But I, I believe that he didn't fully make that bad movie. Yeah. In any event, uh, enough of us drooling over this movie. Um, my review is up on the site for more drool. Uh, Miles wrote a thing for Sunday Scaries last week about Slither. And I wouldn't be shocked if uh, Miles has a thing up on Suicide Squad at some point. Yep, I have so much to say about this movie. And I can't wait to talk about it on the next week's podcast where we can get into spoilers and really dig into what makes it great. Exactly. Back to our regular schedule nonsense. Man, does that that sounds good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like sounds yeah. like a rip roaring time at the theaters, everyone. You know what also sounds good? Hmm. Armin White. Oh God, no, no one has Ooh. ever said that. No one has ever said that. I mean, somebody has to enjoy him as a human being. <laughs> Did you just? <laughs> if he's married, his wife has never said that. He's um. Well, he's also he he would not have a wife. He would not. Well. I mean, he might, but well, I, I'm, I'm. Let me be politically correct and say partner. Then, yeah, there we go. I think your bases have been covered. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's kick it off with a new release. Oh. Did Armin White? Wait, let me, let me get our scores up. So how can we not uh, keep that going? This is my week. I can feel it. <laughs> well, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna beat Mitch this week, so at least there's uh, that. Sorry, uh, Mitch. Looks like your you're game. in fourth place, Mitch. Mitch, Mitch, where is he? <laughs> Mitch will be back next week, probably. Oh, um, oh, jeez. All right, so let's start off. Son of a with Mitch. <laughs> two two new movies. First up, we have Stillwater. Did Armin White like Stillwater? Um, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say he didn't like it because Tom McCarthy wrote it because Tom McCarthy's liberal and he also probably sided with the priest in Spotlight. Steve? I'm going to say no. (laughs) All right. Coming out strong this week, guys. (laughs) Stillwater. Armin White says... The apologetic American self-hatred in Stillwater is an ideological prison. <laughs> so he loved it. <laughs> he did not he did not like Stillwater. He he he's America first apparently. I mean nailed it. I mean ideological prison. I love that. Hey, hold on mm-hmm. one second. Everyone just stop and ring the bell. Ding ding ding. I am in first place and I'm ahead You're of You're tied somebody. for first. Yeah. You're tied for first. There you this go. feels good. This is what it feels like, huh? Yeah. Is it going to last? We shall see. (laughs) Did Armin White like the John Singleton movie Baby Boy from 2001? I don't. 
don't know that I even know what that movie is, but I know that John Singleton is not white, so I'm going to guess he didn't like it. Hmm. I'm going to say he did. Because he's, yeah. Because I don't remember that movie getting really well received, but weirdly enough, I'd say he'd like something like that over Boys in the Hood. 71% of Rotten Tomatoes. Hold on. Oh, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Fingers are crossed. Is this the moment? Singleton never asked for tears or trendy social reform, but insisted on the honesty that politicians and the media shunt aside in favor of platitudes. Baby Boy remarkably withholds platitudes. He liked Baby Boy. No! I'm 0 for 2 this week. I'll take second place. Steve's in second. Steve's got the silver. Right now, <laughs> we uh, I think we we did we we did no sudden move right. Uh, yeah, we did. Did we? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think the second week. Okay. Did Armin White like the man who fell to Earth? Which is crazy because he's the man who fell from Earth. Hmm. Um, Which one is that? That's the David That's... Bowie one, right? Yep. Which, by the way, he did not write for the National Review. He wrote it for the Ann Arbor Sun. Hmm. Does that factor in? I <laughs> I can't imagine he was a Bowie fan, so I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. Ryan? Doesn't that? It has a very high Ryan Tomato score, right? 81%, but it's also a movie from 1976, yeah. so gonna have less overall reviews. yeah no fair um <clears throat> what did steve and miles say we both, they said, both no. said no yeah i'll say no too all right someone's <laughs> following nicholas, my lead nicholas rogue has a daring original gift as damn a director it. damn it that he can't yet fully control oh. when <laughs> If ever he gets that control, one will be able to call it style. He didn't like the man who felt. Oh that. wow! Boom. Miles oh, is on that, board. That took me on a journey. God damn, <laughs> Miles, you are so right. This this ass clown really does like like to weave you through like as a maze through his pull yeah. quotes. Did Armin White like AI artificial intelligence? Oh man, that's a tricky one. You got to figure out what he thinks of Spielberg, what he thinks of Kubrick. What do you think of children? There's a lot going on. Yeah. You know. Science fiction on the whole. Yeah. And speaking of <laughs> on the whole, films? what do you think of uh, Robots? Jude Law's sex yeah. appeal? You know? And Jude Law's sex robot is, is the best performance of the year. Oh, man. Oh, uh, that's a tricky one. I know. It's a good one. Uh, hmm. I'm going to say yes. All right. Ryan? I do know that he does like Spielberg because I remember when he was on the Slash film cast, uh, or it's now is the film cast or whatever the heck they called that now. Um, he was all upset about 12 Years a Slave and kept comparing it to Amistad and saying Amistad was a better film because Spielberg knows how to handle this better than Steve McQueen did. That's literally well, an argument he we, said. We, we know he doesn't like Steve McQueen. Yeah. Um, there's, I mean, obvious reason. I mean, what a what a poor way to bring up an interesting argument of who's a 
better, better filmmaker because I would argue that I do think Steven Spielberg is a better filmmaker in some ways than Steve McQueen. But I think the way he worded it is like I think wow. he's a better storyteller. I wouldn't say he's a better I, I, it, yeah no filmmaker story, story, with a visual eye. It's real close. Generic story. Yeah. Who's going to tell a story better? Steven Spielberg will tell that yeah, story probably. better. Yeah. Visually, if you're telling me a story, probably go with McQueen. I think that I think in that sense it would depend. Yeah. I think it depends, depends on the on, era, well, because there yeah. are many different forms. I'm talking about like now, like Spielberg ain't comparative to McQueen now. But yeah, if you're now, talking Spielberg now, now, I definitely give it to McQueen. But if you're talking yeah. about like nine, like classic Spielberg, ooh, it's he, yeah, he, he, it's yeah. close at least. They're gonna both make some damn pretty pictures at that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, so what do you what do you picking? You know what? <laughs> I kind of feel like he's gonna shit on a dead man and say like this movie needed Spielberg, not Kubrick. So yeah, I'm gonna say he liked it. I'm gonna say right. no. Oh, so oh, it's Steve trying to get back into the tie. I like it. Steve going back. I like to the, the strategy, Steve. Thinking. All right. Yeah, Shh. let's do it. Secret. I'm rooting for you, Steve. Well, I'm rooting it's for Spielberg's distinct sensibility that makes the difference. Rejecting <laughs> the cynical trickery some people prefer in drama, his AI is <sighs> equal to Kubrick's finest work. Good lord. So we can just tell right there he doesn't like Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. Okay. Kind of. Right? All right. So four for Ryan, two for Miles and Steve. No. Oh. <clears throat> this is a tie for silver. Slipping. Let's uh let's go a little more random. Let's see, what can we find? All right. Did Armin White like Downhill? Is that the um, the remake of Force Majeure? Okay, that's what I thought. Um, most people didn't, so I'm going to say yes, he did. Ryan? Oh God! Um, uh, yeah, he. Wait, Miles, you said he liked it. I'm going to say he liked it because it's people speaking English. Um, fuck it I think he liked it it's a piece of shit but I think he liked it snow rhymes with no so I will go with no (laughs) Steve that's great you can't pin him down you can't pin him down Steve the Armand White of oh no that's not fair to Steve never mind (laughs) all right this film's smarter than thou revelations of human foible, personal exactly. pretense, and selfishness suggest sketch comedy. Faxon, Rash, Louis Dreyfus, and Farrell show little imagination or originality. Steve is taking over second place. Wow. We could all learn something from this strategy. <laughs> he actually didn't like that. Good yeah. lord. Did Armin White like Birds of Prey? Oh, definitely think- no. No, it's it's got a, a female uh, empowerment. There's no way he did that. No way he dug in that. Hmm. No. Hmm. Steve, agreeing with everyone. Very everyone very confident. There's my insight. Birds of prey cheapens Robbie's razzle dazzle characterization by politicizing it. <laughs> Quinn's personal passion gets reduced to the childish inanity of out of control petulance. Oh my god. 
Does that mean he liked the Suicide Squad? <laughs> I mean, we're going to find out. Yeah, let's definitely... I, I want to I know what he thought about that. Because I bet when he says Robbie's characterization is worse, I think he's thinking more about the costume design. Yeah. Did Armin White like Clemency? Which one is Clemency? That's the one with Alfred Woodard. Yep, the Death Row movie. Is that from last year? It was 2019. 2019? Oh. Well. But she got nominated at the Baptist this past year. Oh, okay. <coughs> Indeed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm going to say no. I think he's going to say it's like some arty toity, hoity toity thing, and it's got a black lead, so no. Hmm. I'm going to say um, no. <laughs> I'm just enjoying Steve. <laughs> His answer is great. Just the way he said, you know what? No. All right. You're just the best. Clemency is art movie activism and it collapses from the lack of emotional grace. Yeah. That feels like him. <coughs> yep. Now, did he like Brian Banks? Brian Banks? Uh, the biopic of the former would-be NFL player who was uh, jailed. Oh, one of those movies where it's like, yeah. isn't that Bleecker Street? Um, was it a Bleecker Street movie? It might was have it been. Bleecker Street? I remember getting a screener for it during that award season. And I was like, here, Dad, you can watch this one. I'm just kidding. I it is the inspirational true story of Brian Banks, an all-American high school football star who finds his life upended when he's wrongly convicted of a crime he didn't commit. Right, and despite... like Greg Kinnear's his lawyer or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, for yeah. that reason, and for that reason, I say he liked it because it's a white savior film. Oh, maybe I was about to say no, but you could be right. Yeah. Oh, that mm. seems like total like right up his alley to. That's like you the know. blind side version of like, yeah, uh, maybe <laughs> then maybe I'm going to say, yeah, he liked it. All right. Steve, I, I was about to say no. And then uh, I decided to say no. So no. <laughs> well, <laughs> does it help knowing that Tom Shadiak directed it? The director of uh, uh, Ace Ventura? No. Oh, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating Both. detail, for sure. Well, you should have probably gone with uh, the other two, Steve, because he liked oh, it. God. Director Tom Shadiak respects the moral clarity in the Brian Banks screenplay by Doug Atkinson, who also wrote The Moving Aquila and the Bee. Maybe you remember that for a future one. So I know Another he knows that Another keen observation of individual action over activism. <laughs> so, oh, God. Basically. Incredible. Right? Come on, man. Right. I mean, now he's, wait, he's wait, got wait. a type. Let's, well, let's play around with this a little bit. Did Armin White like Just Mercy? Oh. Man, these are like really good three in a row. Yeah. I am going to say he did not. Yeah. Oh, Brie. Brie Larson's in that film, so there's no way he liked an empowering woman in that. But uh, Tim Blake Nelson is in it, and That's he true. probably likes Tim Blake Nelson a lot. Yeah. But and what's the, who's the, is it? Um, Dustin Daniel Crinton, right? Yeah, yeah. And who's the, the DA in that movie? He's um, a British dude playing like a, like a racist southerner. That's very much know. up his alley, I think. I blocked that movie out way many years ago. Like, I thought it was fine. Yes, no. That guy I'm, will never make short term 12 again. That's, no. No. I'm thinking of uh, Rafe Spall, by the way. Oh my god! Oh yeah, man, he plays that character a lot, doesn't he? 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Miles said no. Ryan? I'm going to say no. No. <clears throat> Steve? I'll go with no. Not even Michael B. Jordan, the charismatic star of Creed, can lift Just Mercy out of do-gooder Ooh. drudgery. That means he likes Creed. Do-gooder drudgery. Incredible. Yeah. That's a that's a really good tongue twister. Do good or do good. Do good or do good. Did Armin White like nineteen seventeen? Ooh. I'm gonna say no, just because it was mostly beloved. I know Ryan, you didn't care for it, but um, yeah, I, I feel like the, he'll go with contrarian instincts on that one. Yeah, sometimes, some it's like one of those things, right? Where I told you where Armand. You agree with some him on whether you liked it or not, and you agree with him, and you're like, "Oh my god, is he making good points?" <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna say that he did that with 1917, where he didn't like it, even though it's like the whitest story on the planet. I think right, he, I think he would hate the the whole gimmick. I think that's right. nuts. Steve, all right, uh, my strategy is not working completely, so I'm gonna flip to a yes here. Oh, yeah, you heard it here first. I'm rooting for you, Steve. <clears throat> Thank you. Thank you so much. Mendes's Mendes's prowling camera vision of trench and field warfare offers jolts, but never surprise. As Roger Deakins' adaptable camera surges through variously lighted locales, one's suspension of disbelief is dispelled by the photogenic stunt. You know, your suspension of disbelief that World War I occurred. Yeah, I know. It just doesn't seem that plausible to me, this whole scenario. Now here is here's one I think is going to be a little hard for you. Did Armin White like uncut gems? Hmm. It just seems for those who don't know, he does often like Adam Sandler movies that nobody likes. Well, yeah, but that was an Adam Sandler movie that almost everybody. Did. I know, but how do you keep that into you know he's he's an Adam Sandler fan? I'll give you that he's an Adam Sandler fan. It's the only hint I'll give you. Right, but at the same time, Adam Sandler fans aren't exactly getting their Adam Sandler fix in uh, Uncut Gems. I, I will tell you, his his, rea- his reason for liking or disliking this movie is wild. Okay. I just... It just seems too modern for him. I'm going to say no. Ryan? What is that? No. Was that a silent no? I guess so. I don't know. This one's tough. I'm going to say no. All right. Steve? Uh, I'm going to say yes. Okay, guys. Listen to this one. (laughs) Uncut Gems diminishes one of the richest comic sensibilities in modern cinema. There it is. It turns Sandler, the smartest who always chooses family and friendship over streetwise selfishness, into an icon of grungy nihilism. <laughs> he would like so probably. all the things you love about that movie. He hates. I failed Incredible. myself. So he basically has loved all of Sandler's comedies, yeah. and we turned him into a good actor. Therefore, we made a bad movie in his eyes. Here, I'll give you guys an easy one. You can all just answer at the same time. Did Armin White like Little Women? No. No. Uh, no way in fucking hell. Uh, you're 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 right. I mean, that was a pretty easy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
The crazy, boring, laughable thing about Greta Gerwig's version of Little Women is that the casual racism is merely the start of its problems. What? <laughs> what? Casual racism. What? <laughs> and where's yours, you fucking twat? Whoa. Wait, wait. Here's a here's a bonus point. What do you think the title of his review is in the National Review? I don't know. It's probably Little- something sexist as hell like he is little women big problems (laughs) Greta Gerwig's little women romanticizes white privilege and then the in between before you get to the article a feminist diatribe that Michelle Obama could love oh fuck off there is just so (laughs) much going on there he's calling Greta Gerwig racist when that's literally racist and sexist within that Fuck off. Oh, wait, wait. I got to read you a piece of this review. Oh, my God. This is his his magna opus right here. Of all the... Magnum dopus. Of all the the unwoke standard American literature, Louisa May Alcott's sentimental story of the females in New England's March family bravely preserving the domestic institution and its customs, despite the Civil War raging outside their hearth, seems to have sneaked past progressive gatekeepers. What in the hell are they talking about? I, I, those Has he never like, watched or read Little Women? What in the hell? Those are just buzzwords, and he's like throwing them all together, and I don't understand on any level what kind of point he God. could be making. <laughs> oh, you, that is the most infuriating thing I've ever heard. Look, I get I, if you... I agree with him. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve, that, par for the course, right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> All right. Did Harmon White like a hidden life? Mm. Nothing but white people there. Uh, I'm going to say no because he wouldn't agree with the concept of not joining the Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> it should be a short film. You say yes, and that's it. <laughs> I just All couldn't right. understand his decision. <laughs> Yeah. Miles, that's great reasoning. I'm going to go with Miles. That's a no. no Steve? Way. I'm going to... Is that your answer? Yeah, no. You said no, yeah. Okay. I'll go with a yes. A hidden life is so detached from our spiritual and political needs that it feels similarly useless. I mean, I agree with him. I hate that movie, but Jesus. I mean, we could say the same thing about him. Yeah. All I right. mean, Is... he just literally summed up him. Did... Yep. Right? Yep. Did Armin White like Richard Jewell? Ooh, I'm going to say yes. That's, Fuck conser- yeah. that's conservative pandering at its finest. Yeah, and he's got to have a hard on for Clint Eastwood. Yeah. The, the hard on Clint himself can no longer have? Yeah. Hmm. Steve? I'm going to say no. He did, though. This late phase of Eastwood's directorial career is his best. Yeah! Oh, good God. Because he resists moralistic grandstanding to achieve plainness and depth. Richard Jewell was like the finest, boldest, streamlined, and conscientious B-movie. B- Wow. (sighs) Jeez. It's like, even when you think you can pinpoint if he does or doesn't like something, 
the reason he does or doesn't like it is still always mystifying. That's why this game works. Uh, did Armin White like Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker? Ooh, that's tricky. Mm-hmm. That's tricky. By the way, the point total is Ryan has 13. I believe he's got a perfect score. Miles has 11. Steve has 7. Steve, I recommend not being a contrarian. Just to yeah, I know, I know. It's it's like it's like doubling down in the casino. I'm, yeah. I, I I did the uh, the hole digging. Now I'm going to try to pull myself out and only dig it. This deeper. is why Steve can't handle our finances because he would go to the track. <laughs> he was due. It's gonna, it's they gonna they shot him in this the last race. Day. Why did you bet on him in the next one? Uh, oh man, Skywalker. Um, oh, this is a tricky one. I'm going to say yes. I think he thought they nailed the ending. <laughs> I don't think he liked any one of those because I think he didn't like Daisy Ridley's Ray. And he's probably one of those assholes out there on the internet that is sexist as hell towards this franchise. So I'm going to say it didn't matter if he saw the film or not. He was going to review it in a negative manner regardless. All right. Steve, I'm going to go with a no. Through J.J. Abrams' visually inert busyness, it heralds the death of cinematic communication, if not narrative coherence. I mean, he's not I mean, wrong. he's not. Yeah, I was about to say, he, this, this is probably his most accurate review yet. He's not Fuck, wrong. guys, maybe I like The Rise of Skywalker now. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Best Star Wars movie ever. Did Armin White like Bombshell? Uh, I'm going to say no. Powerful powerful men getting taken down by women? Definitely not for him. Even though they work at Fox News. Yeah. It disgraces the good name of Fox News. (laughs) I mean, this this is a review for the National Review. Yeah. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, uh, He probably didn't understand why it was scathing. Because, like, he probably didn't think anything went wrong down at Fox News. Yeah. So, I'm going to say he did not like Bombshell. And it's probably got, you know, it's got Margot Robbie in it. Like, he said already that she's, like, a feminist. And it's, you know, it's got Nicole. It's got women that are, like, smart. Yeah. So. Steve? He hated seeing the little man go down. Um, I'm going to say he did not like it. Roach's blonde bot casting coup cannot fake its way past the film's basic dishonesty about the corruption of journalism. Blonde casting coup. He didn't like it because it's because it is wrong about the corruption in journalism. Wow. Oh my god. That's... When he's what's wrong with the corruption of journalism that we give yeah. somebody like that. I mean this one's very easy. Did he like Portrait of a Lady on Fire? Hell no. <laughs> I assume everyone's saying no. I'm oh, there's no. no way. Yeah, no. It, yeah, there's no way. Once again, even though he is a gay man, there's no way he would move forward or help the agenda. Yeah. Fact is, Siyama doesn't trust the expressiveness of her medium. Despite deft technique, she stages obvious agiprop. Agiprop? Mm. Yeah. Um... Did Armin White like Queen and Slim? Uh, no way. Oh. Um. Oh, shit. 
No. It's too too liberal. Steve? I'm going to say no as well. You guys all got it right. Instead of urging viewers to question media accounts and move forward towards <laughs> self-reflection, Queen and Slim uses marketing iconography to make up for what lead actors Kaluuya and, J- and Turner Smith lack in charisma. Bullshit. Daniel Kaluuya is the mo- one of the most charismatic actors on the planet. You know, yeah, such an such an uncharismatic Academy Award winner that Daniel Kaluuya yeah. is. Yeah, like the whole point of his performance in that movie is to be like this figure, this presence. You know the way he conducts himself. Like, oh my god, did Armin White like Ford versus Ferrari? Oh, I don't know. That's the kind of dad movie I could see him getting behind. Yeah, and it's all about America beating up on foreigners. It is Even, a hell of a pull quote. <laughs> I bet it is. It's, it's a matter of whether his contrarianism is going to win out. Yeah, because it was a very popular film. Like Joe, ninety-two percent on yeah. Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people like that. I like it. It's a great. That's movie. A great, it's a great movie. Yeah. Um, hey, look at us agreeing. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll find a way to not bite before the end of the episode. Yeah, probably something will come out of stupid shape of water. Uh, I'm. Uh, I'm going to say he liked it. All right, Ryan. It's weird. I don't want to put my perfect streak up on the line, but <laughs> uh, I think I'm, I'm. I think I'm going to say he didn't like it. Weird right. enough, because it is too popular. Steve, I'm going to say he did not like it. Mm. When it comes, when it concentrates on aspects of American exceptionalism. The personal appreciation of how America once thought itself great. It reminds viewers of what pundits and anti-American politicians would have us forget. Do you still need to figure out whether that's a positive or negative review? I I have no idea. (laughs) He listed as a positive review. Miles got that one right. Whoa. Finally missed one. (laughs) Did Armin White like a beautiful day in the neighborhood? No, because it's beautiful and wholesome and everything he hates. <laughs> His powers wane when he sees it. But it is chock full of mostly white people. Which movie is it? Yeah, but it's A Beautiful about, Day Neighborhood. It's about positivity, which is something he can't condone. Yeah. Um, it's directed by a woman. No way. Steve? I'm going to say no as well. The movie seems weary of faith. It briefly mentions that Rogers was an ordained minister and settles for secular sentimentality to account for his sensibility and behavior. This not only weakens the film, but also hobbles Hanks' characterization. It was not Christy enough for him. Incredible. Fuck him so much. God, I hate him so much. Did Armin White like the report? Uh, I'm going to say no, because it's got anti-American leanings. <laughs> Ryan? The report? Yeah. Adam Driver? Oh, there, there's no way he liked that, because it's like, um, it's shitting on the Bush administration, which is when he was formed. Yep. Steve? Doing no as well. 
It's a disappointingly bland run. Burns lacks a sense of urgency, so the movie feels like something that sat on a shelf since 2004. He didn't even watch the movie, probably. Yeah, that's that seems astonishingly vague for him. Yeah, some of these are going to be too easy. Like, I think we can... I, I don't even think we need to guess. Like, he didn't like Marriage Story and Dolomite, right? Obviously not. I think yeah. He likes Dolomite. You think he liked Dolomite? Sure. I was giving you a free point. I mean, but I would say no, still. Oh, yeah. <laughs> While watching Dolomite is my name, one holds to the hope that Murphy will connect with Moore's shtick, but this film steadily disappoints its promise. God, I love Dolomite so much. Or, Marriage Story falls short of its models because it doesn't reflect contemporary millennial problems surrounding intimacy. Hence, Bumbach's reluctance to call the movie what it is. Wait. Sure. What? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I think we also know what he thought of Harriet, right? I'm. Oh. He what loved do you it, get? but his review was negative. <laughs> In Harriet, millennial hindsight, millennial hindsight, mind you. In the period piece biopic Harriet, millennial hindsight and historical revision come off as pompous and patronizing. Oh, that sounds so much like him, though. I mean, I also didn't like the movie, but still, Jesus. I mean, um, did Armin White like Motherless Brooklyn? No, it's made by a bunch of liberals. There's no way he'd like that. It's got Alec yeah. Baldwin. It's got Alec Baldwin in it, and he plays Trump. Yeah, I'm going to say no. No way. Steve? I will say no as well. Edward Norton's motherless Brooklyn is an embarrassment to white liberalism. What would he know about like, white liberalism? Yet the film's shameless conceit is also a monument to white liberal narcissism. Wait, no. No, it can't be both at once. <laughs> it is to him. It can't be both. That's not the way it... Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, God damn it. It's a, an embarrassment and a monument to white liberalism. Incredible. How much, like, how does he get access to things? It's a good question. How? Did, did Armin White like the Kanye West documentary, Jesus is King? Oh. No. Absolutely. Because he was all in bed with Trump at the time, right? So uh, This is a Halloween of 2019 uh, review. Yeah, that seems like a good time. Kanye's all messed up anyway. Miles? He's all, he's all Trumpy. I said no. Steve? I'm going to say no. Jesus is King is a spiritual work thanks to his deep feeling. Pure expression brought to today's calamitous social condition. He enjoyed Jesus is King. He also wrote it for the National Review. That probably should have been a, a help. Did Armin White like The Irishman? You mean the Nationalism Review? Because that's basically yeah. what this is. Did he like The Irishman? Uh, it's a popular <sighs> Scorsese film. There's no way he liked it. Robert yeah. De Niro is also in it. You know, the guy that told Trump to go fuck himself. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for the above reasons, I'm going to say no. Steve? Yeah, I'm going to have to agree there, too. The overwrought Irishman resembles an American kabuki play about <laughs> sin. Wait, wait, wait. 
a play about sin that also relishes sin. It epitomizes the degradation of where we are today. Kabuki play? How did he get away with that? No. Wow. Maybe I like the Irishman now. Did Armin White like Parasite? Definitely not. Oh my god, no. There's no way in hell. Not even close. He would be the asshole. I would be be astonished if he even watched it. If he liked it, we then need to go and re-vote for Best Picture. Let's just say that. Steve? I'm going to say no. Bong is an unfunny extremist. Jesus Christ, here we go. In Parasite, he annihilates the concept of the nuclear family. (laughs) <laughs> by setting a brood of lower class con artists against an upper class family unit. Oh my god, he How does, sided with no, the though. rich people? Yep. <sighs> Fucking of course he did. He'd be like in that scene where they're eating all the food as snacks. Oh my god, they're eating those people's macadamia nuts. Something must be stopped. Yep. <laughs> did Armin White like pain and glory? Hell no. It's a, it's no. a good depi- it's a beautiful depiction of of gay love. There's no way. Steve, I'm going to say yes. Hmm? We might have a first. Steve was the only one to get it right. Whoa! Bum, bum, All bum. these performances, Pain and Glory is the best acted film of the year. <laughs> Idealize complicated human relations. Holy wow. shit, he's not wrong. Fuck me. God damn! See, see what I mean, Miles? Makes you question yourself. Mm-hmm. You hear all now this here's... gobbledygook, and then he says something s- smart for once, and you go, "Fuck! God damn it! Do maybe I like I Pain to... and Glory did... and Almodovar anymore?" Maybe, maybe did I need Ar- to reassess my own opinions. Yeah. yeah. Did Armin White like Jojo Rabbit? <laughs> Probably sided with the Nazis. I mean, there is a there's a cuddly Nazi in that movie. Or two or three. Yeah, but the like, Nazi is not played in a positive light, so I'm going to say he did not like it. All right. Ryan? I think I think there's no way because he would probably not be able to understand the humor behind it because he'd be like, why is everyone laughing? They have to huh. kill these people. Yeah, he would. he'd be very upset by it. Steve? I'm going to say no. YTD's simplistic view of human behavior and political history isn't even as sophisticated as Indiana Jones's witty cultural summation. Nazis, I hate those guys. Is that a yes or a no? He didn't like it. Oh, okay. It's kind of weird. You can't tell. Yeah. Did Armin White. I will like, give him one thing, Joe. He doesn't yeah. put, like, any telling words in his, like, he never puts like this is the best movie of the year, yep. you know, or a visual no, wonder. Except, except the best acted movie of the year for Pain and Glory. Somehow, yeah, just that's the only thing I've ever heard positive in any one of these. It's like yeah. he never goes out there and says something is. He's never trying to pull quote himself. Yeah, he's and he's that. very rarely uh, brief. Brevity is not his friend, though. Yeah, exactly. This next one is a short pull quote. Did Armin White like Hustlers? I'm sure he'd call it like a feminist kabuki play or whatever yeah i'm gonna say no no way he liked that (laughs) wow three word review hustlers is appalling Mm. so are you armand so are you hey classic one did armin white like nashville 
Oh, yeah. That was a movie made like 40 years ago by white people yeah. about white people. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to say yes. And I love Nashville. I'm going to say no. Works of popular art are rarely so pertinent as to make viewers rethink their own lives. Yeah. Seen today, Nashville fills in the intellectual, spiritual, and political chasm caused by Hollywood's juvenile millennial escapism. <coughs> so he loved it. Yeah, he loved it. God damn it. Because did Armin Nashville White, is a masterpiece. Mm, a did Armin White like Judy? Oh, fuck me. Mm. God. Mm, I'm going to say he sided with the pills <laughs> and uh, and didn't like it. Uh, I'm going to go out on a limb and say yes. Steve? I'm going to say no. Two-point game. Judy's lapidary construction is a setting for Renee Zellweger's performance, which attempts a precarious tribute. Zellweger's sensitivity ensures that only a cruel viewer could ignore Garland's struggle against common obstacles. He did like it. Wow. wow. Good for him. Oh, I thought we were just fucking around now. I didn't know we were still playing. Okay. <coughs> I got to get my mind in it. Yeah. Did Armin White like? Be a racist. Be a racist. Did Armin White like Blinded by the Light? No, because it's about non-white people liking things that white people made, and how dare they? Exactly. And the whitest thing of it is Bruce Springsteen, and you damn well know he's not going to give a shit about a liberal uh, guitar player from New Jersey. Sorry, Joe. Hmm. Yeah. How dare he, Steve? I'll say no. Despite the 89% on Rotten Tomatoes, including my own, he did not like it. Yep. Blinded by the Light actually avoids everything that is interesting about cross-ethnic pop culture. Oh, I was right. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you were dead on, Miles. I, he didn't like it for the exact reason. I'm, I'm figuring him out now. All right. That's not a great thing to say, though. No, I'm not, pr- I'm not proud of it, but we played this game long enough. Did Armin White like... Joker. Oh my god, this is the toughest oh. one we've done so far. This was a request from Ryan. Oh, this is for, such for me? a tough one. <clears throat> yeah, you had requested a couple weeks ago. Oh, I did. Wow. Come back it's to all... me. i got to really think about this one. Oh my god. Go to Steve. Go to Steve. Well, it's going to be a one-word answer, but I'll extend it with this explanation of my one-word answer. I'm going to go with yes. I'm going to say no. Ooh. It's going to cost you. There's no right answers here. No, there isn't. Whoever wins, we lose. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think that that's what should be the name of this game now. Whoever wins, we lose. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say no. Mm. Phoenix and Phillips turned Joker into a sociopolitical mishmash. He didn't like it. Oh, come on. (laughs) Come on. That movie's tailor-made for him. And even I thought, wow. Like it is, but at the same time, it was just popular enough for him to turn against. Yeah, it won awards. So there's no way he could have liked it. That's the other thing. He doesn't (laughs) like awards movies. 
That is true. So let's uh, come back to this game next week. I'll keep the score. We'll make it a oh. running score now. Oh, please don't. A... Yeah, that's not fair to Steve. I wasn't here this I'm... week. I mean, he's actually did better than he's ever done before. Ryan, 28, Miles, 26, Steve, 20. Wow, Miles, you were real close. Yep, I was coming in hot, but... Good I job. You're on learning. Key ones. You're really learning from me. It's, um, well, the student's becoming the master. We will come back to this again next week. God. But for now, we're going to wrap up. And uh, when we come back next week, we'll probably talk more about the Suicide Squad. We'll hit on Free Guy. And we'll probably talk more about Annette, because I think more people will have seen yeah, it. Yeah, I'll have then. seen it by then. Yeah, because the I'm the only one who's seen it. And like I said, <clears throat> I didn't care for it. Mm. But at the same time, I found it interesting, at least. I gotta see those Adam Driver scenes. It's, yeah, it's a big swing. <laughs> they definitely strike out. But they foul a few pitches off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, two and a half hours for that. Movie. I've only seen one of his films. Is that a good or a bad thing? What uh, Adam Driver? No, uh, Leo oh. Carax. Holy Motors. Yeah, I've only seen Holy Motors. You've seen the better one. Okay. Yeah, but well, we'll see. So here, <clears throat> wrap up by saying where you can be found, and tell me an upcoming Oscar contender, and then tell me what you think Armin White's going to think of it. Oh. Uh, yes, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Miles on Film. That's M-Y-L-E-S on Film. Uh, please check out my short films, American Exorcist and Once Upon a Dracula. Both are on YouTube under Aftershock Pictures and Chase Capo, respectively. Uh, I think he's going to love House of Gucci, even though it looks <laughs> so terrible. Yeah, we never talked about that. Oh, yeah. Best, House of Gucci trailer best, came out. It looks like crap. Move on. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Best best left to uh, the ash heap of history. I think it looks terrible. I'm, I Listen, if you look at my predictions, I've remained skeptical about it since day one. The Last um, Duel looks better. Well, the okay, Last Duel yeah. looks good. Yeah, I, it if does. Well, I think we even talked about it when we were doing our um, uh, year in advance episode. How I was talking about House of Gucci could uh, fall short of Oscar predictions, but The Last Duel could still be worse. I think the I got to reverse duel. that position right I think, now. Yeah, I don't think I either think so. will be Oscar movies, but The Last Duel definitely looks better. The Last right Duel now. also was was contemplated for a release last year. Like somebody somewhere thinks there's something there. Yeah, Gucci, I think is. Gucci. Yeah. Oh, I still get chills from hearing her say that in that exactly. movie. That, yeah. I've never been more uncomfortable in my life than hearing someone say that word. It's yep. it's very um, much a hybrid of The Counselor and the version of All the Money in the World that still had Kevin Spacey in it. Yep. yep. There's it. It is definitely the indifferent, um, really, Scott. Which I want to say, maybe when it comes out, we should do a deeper dive. When he has a ton of people surrounding him, like very like specific, you know, and you think it's going to be a very visual feast, and you think it's going to be really impressive. They tend to be indifferent on his part. Mm-hmm. Exodus, Gods and Kings. When he has counselor. a good screenwriter, that's when he shines. Yeah. yeah, when well, he I mean, has when you have a shit the ones. Yeah, yeah, I was terrified when he was signed on to make the Martian because I was like, oh god, he's this book this is up. perfect. Yeah. and Andy Goddard and and like, listen, the, the screenplay was yeah. by Drew Goddard, who'd made Cabin in the Woods, which is a perfect film. Like everything was was setting itself up, and at least it seems like he left Drew Goddard alone. And was like, just just tell me the script, and we'll make it because they really didn't change anything. No, like Andy Weir's book is just a turned into a two and a half hour movie. Like, which is real smart on his hands because it's a great yep. movie. 
somebody somebody got a hold of him or he was aware enough to be like, okay, this is already good. Yeah. Like anyone can make this movie good. I can only fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, so in any event. In other news, as far as films we have recently seen, we're going to do another section of our on-again, off-again segment, Radar Reviews. Uh, Steve and I recently got a chance to see a film that's been making quite a bit of festival buzz recently, uh, and that would be Nine Days. It stars Winston Duke, Zazie Beetz, Tony Hale, Benedict Wong, and Bill Skarsgård, among others. And it is a pseudo-fantastical story about a uh, scenario where people are chosen for the job vacancy of life itself. Winston Duke plays a man who is interviewing various potential candidates and having them watch video footage of people who are actually experiencing life and to see if they would qualify based on his personal opinion. The twist is he was actually alive before, so he's experienced it, but having lived before, he may have a certain bias towards the way life should be lived and who is best set up to survive. Um, The character dynamics uh, are sort of set up from there. Steve, what did you think of that movie? I really uh, really enjoyed this film. Uh, I was surprised how much I did because at first I wasn't completely on board, and as it unfolded, and it it kind of has a, a slight mystery feel to it, element to it. Uh, as it unfolded, uh, I really started to connect with these characters. I thought it was quite moving. It kind of has a, elements of, of, of being John Malkovich, sure. and, but it didn't try to be too complex or obtuse. When it comes together, it, it's more straightforward than you'd expect. I focused more on the spiritual and the emotional aspects of the story. I don't think you uh, had the same take. Um, I had a similar take. So I was very excited for this one. Uh, I had seen a trailer that was either released very early this year or maybe sometime last year um, that got me pumped for it. And I love the cast. Um, So I went into it very much uh, ready to enjoy it. I, I liked it very much. Um, it's a film that, you know, to sort of spoil the end of the segment, I will recommend to people. I think it kind of kept me at arm's length from loving it, though. I kept waiting for another shoe to drop. And I think a big element of that for me, and this is something that I've seen the discourse on the film sort of rallying around, uh, I'm a big stickler for world building. I don't need every little detail explained to me, but I do need some basic clarity on what the situation is and what the stakes are. And the film gives you a decent amount of information, but it stays mum on a few key details. And I think for me, that lack of clarity about those key details sort of kept me from fully emotionally engaging with it. I'll definitely agree with you that I think the last third is the best section of the movie. Um, There's a couple of scenes in particular towards the end that I think are really well handled and really engaging. Um, I think the cast overall is fantastic. Um, Zazie Beetz is always great. Um, Tony Hale might have been the MVP for me. I really, really enjoyed his work, and it felt very natural. Um, And Winston Duke in particular, it's a very against-type casting choice. And there's long stretches of the movie where I wasn't quite sure if it was working, but he has a scene right towards the end of the movie that 100% justifies it. He is mesmerizing uh, right towards the end of this film. I thought this cast was tremendous. I loved what Anthony Hale was doing. Uh, I thought Zazie Beach was great. But I, I really liked Benedict Wong. Um, there's just something about him. I, I think I just want to sit down and have a beer with the guy. He's relatable in a way, and he's, uh, I don't know, there's something about him. Uh, and Winston Duke, like you said, showed a complete different side of, of himself, which was nice to see. I thought 
it, it pulled at the heartstrings and maybe you know, it played you a little bit. The lack of world building is kind of what I liked. I didn't have to go and, and sit and think about this too much. I was able to consume it and, and take it in. And I would imagine if I saw this in the theater, I would be walking out with uh, my wife crying, you know, surrounded with other people crying as well. And then maybe I would have uh, shed a tear or two. Um, one of the things I really enjoyed too with was within the editing, um, how, much, how they pieced together all these little cuts of human life, of, of, of daily life, the big moments and the small moments, but you know, really more of the, the small um, mundane moments and, and makes you sit back and appreciate those things. And I think as a father, um, you know, that really uh, hits home because you know, it's like kind of this mosaic of humanity. And, and I also liked uh, one of the things I, I like some of the art direction. I like this this wall of TVs that were these uh, outdated giant CRT tube sets stacked on top of each, and top on top of each other. You know, it's like uh, I thought it was a great visual. You know, it didn't it didn't spell it all out for you, but it kind of allowed you to kind of put this together this world and, and fill in those blanks on your own. Yeah, I definitely want to uh, follow up on your point about the uh, the TVs and the look of the world in general. It has this great analog mm-hmm. feel to it where they're using like VHS yes. tapes and Polaroids and sort of crappy projectors. It, it has this handmade feel to it that it clearly is sort of frozen in time at a certain point, um, which I think gives it this nicely sort of simplistic element to it. There's a lot of like characters writing in notepads mm-hmm. and journals and things like that. There don't seem to be any like electronics in sight past like a certain point in the early 90s um so i think that definitely gives it this sort of tactile um uh feel to it and uh, the world in general i believe it was uh, filmed in utah possibly on the salt lakes and it's got that sort of isolated feel to it uh where it's kind of like just a house in the middle of nowhere and so the fact that it doesn't show you too much uh was one of the world building elements that i like because your imagination can sort of fill in the blanks there um, I I think there were it was it was a couple of specific things. They mentioned the um, the fact that the Winston Duke character used to be alive but isn't anymore, and he's now in this interviewer role. But it's not clear to me how that transition happened or could have happened based on the information the movie gives us. And I think it's a key component that's missing from his emotional trajectory. Because the core emotional through line of this film and his character arc in particular, I think in in isolation completely works. And I think if this was a film that was sort of set on earth and he was just like an HR guy who used to have passion for something, but then it sort of died down. He had some bad experiences and now he's become this sort of shell of himself. And then he's interviewing someone who sort of, you know, helps him maybe see a different side of things like that all on its own, I think is very effective. I think the thing where I get held up with is that you bring in this whole element of he's this person who decide whether people essentially get to exist or not. And so the stakes don't quite jive with the emotional through line for me. They almost feel like they're two separate scenarios. And I feel like I I just needed a little more clarity on like where these people come from. How are they so fully formed with different ages and clothing styles and personalities and sort of what is conjuring them? And and it's clear from a few of their conversations that the people... um, you know, working here don't necessarily have all the answers either, which again, isn't a problem in and of itself, but it's just a few little things here and there. Um, The same thing with the Benedict Wong character. 
which I love his performance and I like that character a lot and he's very gregarious and charming. Uh, it's one of the few movies where Benedict Wong gets to use his natural British accent. Um, but I'm also not clear on what his role is. He says a few times in dialogue that, you know, uh, Winston Duke's character's job is to select people for the vacancy of life, as they call it. Um, and his job is to make sure that he made the right decisions from his point of view, which is a little abstract. But in terms of what we actually see him doing, he seems much more like a handyman, or, you know, somebody who's dropping off supplies and helping build things and just going around to the various interviewers and helping out. So it creates this kind of weird dynamic where imagine you're in high school and a teacher is uh, grading papers and every now and then the janitor walks in and says, oh, you might have judged them too harshly. Oh, maybe they should re retest it. It just, cr it, the, the clarity I think was missing in terms of what they're, relationship was in terms of the, the different jobs that they have. I think it's little things like that that I, I found myself trying to parse out. And at first I thought, oh, the movie was just going to take its time with those things, but it never sort of loops back around. And so when you're supposed to be in the thick of um, the emotional sort of catharsis, I, I was enjoying it, but I still felt like I was kept at arm's length because there were a few key elements surrounding the stakes of everything that was happening that I felt like uh, I needed to have a little bit better understanding of. Yeah, yeah, you make a good point, and I can understand that. I, I was more wrapped up with the emotional core of it and got really involved with, with Zazie's character and, and, and her connection with Winston Dukes, um, and I can understand that. Yeah, De Benedict Wong's character has a lot of question marks around him. I think maybe on repeat viewings that may be an issue, um, but I think here more I was wrapped up. I was you know totally sucked in uh, on a, a different level where I wasn't picking it apart. But I think if you want to sit down and discuss who are these characters, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be pages missing in the. Uh, and maybe that's just it, because um, I completely agree with you as far as the effectiveness of the emotional moments. Um, and I think we keep coming back to there's a handful of scenes in that third act in particular that even though I, I had a little bit of frustration with the narrative side of things, once it got into the meat of those emotional scenes, I was still with it. And I think maybe it comes from a point of wanting to love it more than I am because the things that are working are working so darn well. Um, so it may be one of those things where it plays very well on first impression, but it's not one maybe that you should think yeah, too much about. That's where, yeah, I think that's where it kind of where it lives. Um, I think if you're going to do something, they needed to do it more up front. You know, it was very deliberately kind of withheld information. And like you said, you're kind of waiting for that to be mm -hmm. filled in. But then, as it didn't get filled in, that's when I, you know, shifted over more to uh, the the paths of these characters and and what this all meant to them, and you know the you know the message at the heart of it, which is pretty, I think, you know, it's about appreciating life is is what I took away from it. Um, maybe a you know, very simplistic view of it, but I I think that's all I needed. Um, I didn't need it to be everything. If this was going to be, uh, if this, I don't know what the source material is for this. Do you? I want to say it's original. I didn't see anything about it being based on anything. Yeah. So I think if you had a book or something, if there was some sort of source material that it was adapted from, I would expect to see a lot more of the, that detail there. But because it's original, I think it, it, I don't know, I think it plays well. 
I was surprised to see it's produced by Spike Jones as well, right? Yeah, I saw he was. There's a very long list of uh, executive producers, including Winston Duke, and yeah, one of them is Spike Jones. And I can definitely see what would attract him to a project like this because it very much lives in the same world, or at least the same uh, reference point as some of his work, like being John Malkovich or her. Where in terms of how we interact with technology and how that can sort of influence or change us. I had a feeling early on that this had his fingerprints on it. And then I went back after watching to research a little bit and found his name. So it kind of made some sense that I felt that. And I also have to mention that it's, it's really well shot. I love the cinematography. And the score uh, in particular was a standout. Yeah, the score was particularly good. That uh, And there's a, or a violin piece that... Um, sort of recurs throughout. I don't know if it's an original piece or if it's a, a piece of existing classical music, but I thought it was very stirring and very effective. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, I think it's time to step into our awards section where we pick the, in a perfect world, the categories where we think this film should or could be nominated. Um, so yeah, perfect world, no competition. I think Winston Duke would deserve consideration for best actor. Uh, Zazie Beats for Supporting Actress, definitely. And either uh, Tony Hale or Benedict Wong, I think, uh, could definitely deserve some supporting actor contention. Um, maybe screenplay, because I think it is an original and interesting premise. Um, regardless of my personal issues with some of the world building, I still think it gets a lot of credit for um, the uh, the character dynamics that it creates and sort of the the greater life messages that it has you thinking about. Uh, and then cinematography and score, and uh, I would agree editing for sure. Yeah, I pretty much agree across the board. Um, you know, I if I had to choose, if we could only if we had to limit it to two performances, I think Duke, and I guess I, I think I'd go with Beats though. I think Zazzy Beats. Yeah. Yeah, you know, but I think those the, those four were great. Uh, what's the what's the other actor's name? Um, Bill Skarsgård. Yeah, Skarsgård. Um, he was he was okay. He was good. I mean, I want to say it's an against type role for him as well, but I think at this point, against type for him for me is just not Pennywise the Clown. So. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't Pennywise, so that's uh, he felt it was out of place here. Seeing him play a relatively normal person, I think his character is interesting more in how it creates a juxtaposition, especially with uh, Zazie Beetz's character. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily one that lends itself towards giving a very showy performance. Yeah, I'm really curious what the like the, the masses will think of this. I'm I'm not sure how much of a re, you know how many people will end up seeing this, but we were discussing the Green Knight, and I know a lot of people would walk into that and see the Green Knight and the the the, uh, the style of the poster and think, okay, this is going to be something like Marvel or or a, a Game of Thrones type, and then walk away completely disappointed. If someone walked in and knowing nothing, what do you think the reaction would be? Um, I think it, I mean, obviously it depends on the person and how open they are to this kind of thing in general. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking think, Joe, like Joe Multiplex, you know, someone who just... Joe Multiplex, sure. I think, um, I think there are definitely going to be people who, like me, get hung up on some aspects of the world building, but it is a film that wears its heart on its sleeve. And if you're going looking for a film that's going to give you those big, cathartic emotional moments and sort of take you on an emotional journey then i think it definitely succeeds at that so if 
you know, if Joe Multiplex goes in with the right frame of mind, I think he'll find a lot to like here. I like Joe Multiplex. We should run with that more often. Yeah, he's a good character. So then we're going to wrap up with uh, just our scores, or is there anything else we should discuss? Uh, yeah, I think that would be it for me. One um, storytelling touch that I really like that we didn't really mention, um, without giving too much away, there's these, there's, I think, three scenes in the film that um, are... Um, uh, described as sort of a last wish moment. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, yeah, are, I'm sorry. Uh, these sort of created moments uh, that uh, Winston Duke character does uh, for people who don't make it through the process. And uh, without going into any detail about what they are, who they happen with, uh, there are these really nice ways where he can't actually take them to the real world or let them experience what these moments would really be like. But he finds very cre- innovative ways to simulate it with the lo-fi technological constraints of the world he's in and those moments i think were some of the most successful in the film yeah i'm I'm surprised i forgot to touch on that yeah i absolutely love those um there was one in particular that that just worked so well and i don't want to give anything away but you'll know when you see them and I, i really just magical and i'm like right there that's when i got pulled in and that's when i was like okay i i get i don't need I can I can let thing other things slide. I didn't need to fill in all those blanks because this this type of creativity really just grabbed me at the heartstrings. And I'm really excited for people to see this and to see those moments and to hear the reactions because I just I really think it's it's a little bit of movie magic there. The creativity behind those scenes really deserves recognition. Absolutely, completely agree. Uh, what would you rate this film? My rating lives somewhere between a four and a four and a half, and I decide to go with four and a half. Okay. Those scenes that we just mentioned uh, are a half half star on their own, at least. Maybe a full star. Yeah. Um, I think I'm I'm a little bit, I'm sort of down a notch from where you are. So I would say I'm between a, a three and a half and four. Um, I think I'm going to be generous and give it a four. Because even though I had nitpicks with it that sort of held it back from greatness for me, I think the stuff in it that does work is stuff that's going to kind of resonate with me for quite a while. And I think the talent on display and the the care and craft that has uh, been put into this world is one that uh, I think definitely deserves praise. And I think people should check it out. I completely agree. So listeners, be sure to check it out. It'll be hitting theaters soon. And let us know what you think. All right. Sounds good. Joey, back to the show. That's, uh, that's it. So Ryan... You can find me on Twitter at Ryan McQuaid 77. Find all my work for awards radar and awards watch and in session film and all those over there. Um, I think he's going to despise King Richard and he's going to say something along the lines of Will Smith and the Williams sisters are the worst combination since black lives matter and the liberal agenda. That's good. That sounds very much like him. And his annoyance that it's not the Anna Kornikova story. Just yes. a white Russian lady instead. Uh, all right, Steve. You can find me at Twitter and Letterboxd, at FilmSnork. You can also find my work on Awards Radar, a lot of my reviews on Screen Radar, and you can listen to my podcast, The Verse, that uh, Armin White actually hates. So that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> as for Academy Award... Potential nominee. I'm going to say West Side Story. I'm going to say he's going to call it an unnecessary remake of a classic film, which, mm. you know. Oh, no, because that's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was just <clears throat> I was just quoting your Twitter account. 
God damn it. You can find me at Joey Magatson on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, all that stuff. Definitely follow Ward's Radar on all the similar channels. And I'm going to say he's going to finally get around to seeing the uh, Sundance film Passing that Netflix has high hopes for. And he is going to wildly have a distaste for it because why wouldn't an African-American lady be proud to be seen as a white lady? Like, whatever could the problem be? Because, you know, reasons. Oof. Harsh yeah. but fair. Yeah. <laughs> Things we never say about Armin White. <laughs> In any event, we will be back next week. And hopefully you are... Uh... The only thing involving Delta in your life is an airline, but, you know, stay safe. And uh, should you choose to, we will see you at the movies. Bye, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe and to visit awardsradar.com for the best in awards and entertainment content.